0: Morning. Eddie. Take two. Good morning, everyone. Zach is not feeling the greatest today, so No, he's, see, see, he's, Glenn, Glenn he's, had our
1: levels way off over here. We were, we were all the way around. So uh, now we're, we're, we're you're, fixed.
0: You're way too loud. I am. You loud. are way too loud. We're Music. Fixed. The music's too loud. Let's turn that down a little bit. We're getting there. Good morning. We're getting there. We're here. We're, here. we're live on the bat around on a overcast but nice Saturday morning here in the Towson, Baltimore, Maryland area. I'm Paul. He's Zach. This is the Bat Around. Zach is not feeling well today, so he's gonna be um not talking as much, thank God. <laughs> but uh we are here today's show brought to you by Chick-fil-A and Toys for Tots, Baltimore area Chick-fil-A restaurants invite you to support Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 12th. Donate a new toy at any of the 13 Stuff the Truck locations and receive a free sandwich offer card as a thank you. For more information, please visit pressboxonline.com slash toy drive. I I, I may have some old toys from when I was a kid that I held on for nostalgia. I may be willing to trade those in for a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I do love me some chick Although I am on a uh, meatless kick, I was about to mention that You're I'm on a, on a meatless, meatless kick. I I am three weeks in to no meat. I've added seafood, and when I say seafood, I've had shrimp twice in the last week. Um, I made an attempt at salmon
1: last night. It went okay. Let's y- say like it, you,
0: like an attempt, like in, in <laughs> that you ate it for the first time. You no,
1: tried to cook. No, 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 I tried to cook it, ah. and it went it went interesting. It, it was fine. It, it ended went up tasting interesting. okay. I I think like a good like fifth of it. If we break it into fifths, a fifth of it was still raw because I didn't, I didn't cook well, that's it correctly. okay. Sa- salmon, but I ate like a fourth of it.
0: Sa- salmon, you can you can still eat fairly raw. Um, you know, get yourself a George Foreman grill. Season the no, I gotta raw... I got to get myself a Ginsu grill. Uh, uh, what are you get, talking about? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Get yourself a Ginsu grill. Get yourself a Ginsu grill. And all you got to do is season up that, that raw salmon with lemon and pepper. With like uh, the lemon pepper seasoning and then girl on both sides for a couple minutes, you're good to go. Mm-hmm. You're always right. So, all right. Welcome to the battle round. Um, Ramon Arias, we'll kick things off with him. He wins a gold glove at third base. Just the third Orioles third baseman ever to win the gold glove, joining Brooks Robinson with his 16 and Manny Machado with his two. Ramon only played 98 games at third base, logged just under 770 innings, but he had 14 defensive runs saved. Uh Zach wins a gold glove over there. Not a not a ton of games, not a ton of innings in there, but he was clearly the best defensive third baseman in the American League. Yeah, no doubt. Um he's someone
1: where I, I think before the season started we all kind of were questioning where's he gonna play you know we, we think the bat was gonna play and I would say the bat for the most part did uh but there was always the question of you know what infield spot is he gonna play at because he came up as a second baseman shortstop more of than a third baseman so it was something that was a little more unproven we didn't know if the arm strength was there and not that that factors into gold glove as much as actually just being able you know to pick a ball and be able to catch a ball yeah be does. able to make the throw but you too, do though. have to be able to make the throw and he did he was consistent all year he made the throws he had to I thought he looked really good over there and he solidified with position where I, I'm not sure they can they can move him off of it at this point. He's so well, they're going to have to. They're going to have to. But Gun- you know, Gunnar Henderson. If you if you factor Jorge Mateo not playing as a starter as much, you can you know throw Gunnar Henderson at short or second, and it makes a lot of sense. Gunnar so, is not playing second base. I, I think. I think, so. I think, but I think they we did saw that they there. tried
0: him there, but I think we saw that experiment. Experiment, 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 and it did not work out. Uh, a couple of they, they didn't go down as errors, but a couple of bobbles in that first game of that doubleheader on Labor Day that ended up costing the Orioles um, the, the run, the the game because a couple runs scored. And they lost that game, I think, by one or two runs. Right. It, 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 I'm it, willing to cut him some slack there, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if he spends all season working at it, but then what are you going to do with your minor league Player of the Year, Jordan Westberg, or Connor Norby, who hit 29 home runs? This year, you've got some question marks there. We're going to talk about that later in the show uh, on Orioles banter from the Locked on Orioles podcast. Connor Newcomb is going to join us at around 1130 um, for Orioles banter to discuss that and more things about the Orioles as the World Series is coming to a close. Arias, it's funny, man, because I was was sitting down the third baseline on opening day. And so when I say down the third baseline, I was closer to the left field corner, but we were in the front row. My dad and I and I'm, and I'm, have a direct angle behind Ramona Arias playing third base. And two consecutive throws during infield warm-ups while the pitcher was uh, warming up, he bounced the throw to first base. And I was like, oh my god, he can't make the throw. And then he bounced a couple in the game. And we saw that routinely to start the year. And then little by little, the arm strength gets better, gets better, gets better. Um, and that's a credit, I think, to, I believe, Tony a new infield instructor, yeah. right? That's a credit to Tony Manzolino for working with him and getting that, helping him find that correct arm slot to play third base. Because honestly, if you play second base or shortstop your entire life, even though you have to make a deep throw from shortstop, it's a consistently different arm slot. It is. Playing third base. You played third base growing up, didn't you? Uh, as a lefty,
1: a little bit, yeah. Oh, you're, um, that's right. You're a lefty. I'm a lefty, you're, but you're, you're I, I, was on, I was on some rec teams where nobody else could make the play, so I was there.
0: Ah, okay. All right. The, the Stalworth um, defensive standout. Uh, yeah. Uh, Zach Goodman, <laughs> That's about all the, I can the do. lefty third baseman. Might as well be a Mark Parent, left handed catcher behind the plate. It works a lot better than left handed shortstop. I'll tell you that. Uh, I'm sure it does. Because I did both. I'm sure. Oh, wow. Um, Cedric Mullins is a finalist in center field. He did not win. Miles Straw won. Look, Miles Straw is the best center fielder in the American League. Uh, not the greatest hitter, probably probably the worst everyday player yeah. offensively. Yeah. Um, but he wins, the, he wins the Gold Gloves. Cedric Mullins, at least he was represented there. Jorge Mateo, the big um, snub. The biggest snub of all the Gold Gloves. He wasn't even a finalist, and he was clearly, by far and away, the best defensive shortstop Still can't get in, upset about it. in all of baseball and wins the Fielding Bible Award for best defensive shortstop in all of baseball. Not a finalist in the American League. Uh, but Jeremy Pena made over 20 errors, but he's a rookie. Got a good bat. He's replacing Carlos Correa, so he's in the spotlight. And he's playing in the World Series, might win World Series MVP. He wins the gold glove. Um, but they were voted on before the postseason. So. I was going to
1: say, just watching this World Series, I know we're going to get there in a second, but Jeremy Pena is every bit deserving of every accolade he's going to get over these next few years. Because that kid is a stud. Yeah, he is. That kid is a stud. He is.
0: Speaking of studs, Orioles agreed to a one-year deal with JK. (laughs) Known stud. Um, split contract. So his salary is determined by whether he's in the majors or the minors. It's not like he signs a one-year, $1.2 million deal. And whether he's in Baltimore or AAA, he gets that money. It's all dependent on where he is, um, for how much he makes, but they avoid arbitration with him. Um, the Orioles, when they announced that roster move, also announced the roster moves were Chris Ellis and RMS Garcia. Uh, both refused their outright assignments to AAA Norfolk, and they both have elected free agency. Chris Ellis, uh, in 2020, 2021, he pitched well for the Orioles. The peripherals weren't great, but he had a, he had a sub-4 ERA in seven starts, He pit, and he pitched well with Tampa Bay before that. Uh, had the injury this year, never pitched at the big league level. And so now he's been... He, he was outrighted, refused it. He's a free agent. There wasn't a spot for him. He, he was he was a depth piece. He was going to be right. somebody who might pitch a A for you and if you need a spot start. But I doubt that was even going to happen because the Orioles have so many candidates for the starting rotation and for the bullpen. Armas Garcia is a little bit more troubling. Um, he's a backup catcher. Not a great offensive player, but he's really good defensively. Um, and he's one of the better pitch framers yeah. in baseball. So... With the fact that we, the Orioles don't have a backup catcher on that. technically they do Robinson Chirinos, but that's only because the World Series isn't over. The second it ends, he becomes a free agent. The Orioles aren't going to re-sign him, right? Um, if they, they, you know, what, I'm not going to say they aren't. Mm. Uh, Brandon uh, Brandon Hyde loves Robinson Chirinos. I don't know how much Mike Elias does, but Brandon Hyde loves Robinson Chirinos. Um, so I, I'm not going to say that they aren't going to sign Chirinos, but I'm not betting my money on it. Uh, Garcia could have been in a, in a competition that could have been as many as six catchers deep for the backup positions. They still may go out and sign a backup, maybe a Jose Leo, a Sandy Leon, excuse me, a Sandy Leon or Tucker Barnhart. But we will see how that comes in the coming days, weeks, and months. So Chris Ellis and RMs Garcia both electing free agency rather than accepting their outright assignments to AAA Norfolk. Now we get to the World Series. Phillies they lose games four and five at home after winning game. Three there seven to nothing. Bryce Harper with a moonshot in the yeah. first inning. Phillies touched up Lance McCullers Jr. for five home runs. Do you think they were tipping? He was tipping pitches. You know,
1: I I was trying to look for it because I saw people on Twitter saying that, and when I was watching the game, I didn't really notice that. I didn't mm-hmm. see anything that was like crazy out of the normal um, or out of the ordinary. I guess a I lot of say.
0: people pointed pointed out the leg kick. That was it, it. Was different. On the fastball, than it the, was on the off-speed stuff.
1: That that's possible. It, it could also been he, you know, showing too much of the ball um, in the windup I, or the delivery. I don't know what it was, but I, it definitely they were teeing off on him. So something was awry. Lance McCullers is a really good pitcher um, and has been for a long time. I don't know if these guys necessarily would randomly change something like that though, where the leg kick would all of a sudden be different, where it's been the same all season, and then he goes. With a different one, well, I, but I, he, he
0: didn't pitch much. He only pitched at the end of the I, year, right? He
1: had some injury issues for sure and, all and year.
0: He hadn't. I think it was either one or no home runs allowed on this off-speed stuff. It's, it's fair in, I, in the regular season. So
2: crazy that they
0: that they hit five home and, and Bryce Harper before Alec Bohm's home run. He called him over and he said, "Hey, I may have something." I saw that because Harper he, struck out, I believe. No, Harper hit
1: a two-run homer. Was that the? the Har- I feel like it was the at bat where he was telling Bohm what was coming was it was an at-bat it, where he it stuck was, out, it, was wrong.
0: it was the next inning because okay. uh, so uh, Har- and Harper didn't strike out against McCullers.
1: I might be thinking about a different game. That, so so
0: Harper hit the two run homer in the first inning on the first pitch he saw, which was yes, a breaking yeah, ball, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and then his next at bat, he walked, and then they brought in a reliever, and I believe it was Ryan Stanek, and he struck out against him. Okay, that, that's um, probably what I mean. But when Bohm came up, I believe it was the second inning, Harper, when he was like waiting on deck, he called him over and said, I think I may have something. He pointed something out, and then he goes deep. Five home runs off of Lance McCullers, all off of all speed stuff. You have to think there was something that they were that they were seeing. Yeah, I mean, Lance McCullers, again, good pitcher. Hasn't
1: thrown a lot this year, but i I'd have to think something was a little off. Yeah, um, Maybe the pressure got to him? And, that could and be it, part
0: of it? It's weird because I'm not an Astros fan, per se. I'm not rooting for them in this World Series. Yeah. I'm not um, sure I'm
1: rooting for anyone, really.
0: Um, however, oh, I'm definitely 100% rooting for the Phillies. Okay. 100%. Um, well, I've given the reason before. My sure. stepdad, yep. my my yep. co-best men, blah, blah, blah. Um, I like Lance McCullers. I may have been the only person outside of Houston and McCullers' parents that felt bad for him in that game. I, I didn't feel bad for the Astros overall. I'm glad they lost that game, um, especially because now they're up 3-2 and they would have won the series by now. Um, I didn't feel bad for the Astros, but I felt bad for McCullers because he's pitching in the World Series, and he just he's getting torched. Yeah. And there's nothing he could do about it. Like, like he couldn't do anything about it. And, I, and I've been there on the mound, and you feel so freaking helpless. Yep. You, you just you're sitting there, and they're teeing off on you, and you're just like. I don't know how to throw a pitch to get these guys out now. I, I don't
1: know what to do. It's, I mean, coming from my experience of, of the same thing, um, then you feel like you throw a good pitch and they're still teeing off on mm-hmm. it. I remember in, in high school, I threw a fastball that was on yeah, painted on the inside corner, uh, low and in, and the dude hit a, a massive bomb off me. Like, I, it was one of the farthest bombs I've ever given off my life. And it was, it was wild because I, I thought I threw a good pitch, but clearly there was something I was doing that was telling them, you know, what, what, what was coming next.
0: And the other thing is, if you're throwing, if if you're getting teed off on, and then say that you throw a really good pitch Mm -hmm. and you spot it and you don't get the call right? and then right. you're like what else can I do I'm not gonna uh, yeah. like I've had plenty of times where I where an umpire was squeezing me forcing me to throw the ball down the middle of the plate and that's when I started getting teed off on. It. it's like I can't put it anywhere because right. you're not calling these but I digress it was um I've been saying I digress a lot I gotta get that get away <laughs> from it it's the first there. time the show it's okay uh, second time okay. this show All right. um, in like the last five minutes um <laughs> But so anyway, so the Phillies lose games four and five at home. Game four, they were no-hit. It was a combined no-hitter. Zach, i got to be honest, even in the World Series, and I know that it's history. I know it's only the second no-hitter in World Series history. It did. So um, my wife gave me crap on Twitter.
1: I saw this. She gave I- me I crap it. on
0: Twitter because as it's happening, it's the it's the top of the ninth inning, yeah. and she's like, all right, babe, I'm going to bed. I was like, what? How dare you? I was like, it's the ninth inning of a no-hitter in the World Series. Mm-hmm. She goes, Uh, okay, okay, and my wife's a sports fan, it's just, she was going to bed, she had to work the next morning, she was tired, and and she had worked, she had had a 14-hour day that day, so I understand why she was going to bed, and so I stayed up, and I started falling asleep in the top of the ninth thing, I didn't, I watched it, and then, I don't know if it's because the ass it it seemed to not matter to the Astros, the guy on first, the the first baseman, Guriel, he catches the final out uh, on the throw from Bregman, and he kind of just Puts his arm, his hands in the air yeah. briefly, and then claps, and then they go and they do their normal "we just won" celebration, Right. slapping, uh, giving high fives in the line or on the pitcher's mound, and they 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 said that they were going to celebrate the no hitter accordingly after they win the World Series. Well, what if they don't win one? And the, like, <laughs> yeah. hey, remember that no hitter? That was cool. Combined no hitters do absolutely nothing for me. They do nothing for me. If if a person does, if a one pitcher does it, that's an achievement. Yeah. If a team does it, I don't care. That's why they like when they talk about the Orioles combined no hitter against the Oakland Athletics back in 1990 or 1991. Five pitchers. I don't care. Right. Th- that doesn't count to me. John Means no hitter. That's legitimate. He's a drop third strike away from a perfect game. That's awesome. Yeah. A uh, combined no hitter, w- even in the World Series. I don't care. I'll tell you what a combined no hitter is. It's a fancy shutout. Yeah, it's, it's a, a fancy it, it, shutout. It, 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 all it was was a shutout. Yeah. all yeah. it was was a shutout. Now the cool thing is, the next game, first batter for the Phillies in the first inning, Kyle Schwarber launches a leadoff home run. So kind of like, hey, this ain't happening again. The problem is they didn't score again until the eighth inning. Yeah, and they had the tying <laughs> it, it did happen again. <laughs> it, right, <laughs> not and, in the same and, way, and, but the, the t- they had the tying run on base. I think they had the tying and go-ahead runs they on did, base. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was bases loaded, wasn't it?
1: Uh I think there was runners in the
0: corners. I okay. Thought, and and Schwarber comes up and he scorches a ground ball down yep. the first baseline. Mancini. Where Trey Mancini was playing, he was he was holding the bag. The ball was hit so hard, the only thing he had time to do was put his glove down. He literally put his glove down and the ball landed in it. I'm not saying that he didn't make a great play and that he was, isn't deserving the accolades of making the great play, but yeah. he had, it was literally a knee jerk reaction and he caught the ball. Right. And it hit he it hit him in the palm, too. Right. And he, so he stepped on the bag and they get the out, right? And it ends, it ends the inning. And we're going to get to Trey in a second. We're going to get to Trey in a second. In the ninth inning, one out, JT Realmuto crushes a ball yep. to right center field. Jazz McCormick, lifelong Phillies fan, charging after the ball, leaps at the wall, and makes the catch of the year. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not, this wasn't just one of those, you know, how somebody will like run back to a wall and they like jump six inches off the ground and catch the ball. Like, oh, life me catch. It's like, no, he just, whatever. Yeah. This was full vertical, full arm stretched out, catches the ball, slams into the wall, hits the ground robbing Real Muto of a double, likely a triple, because if that ball hits off that wall, it bounces away. Yeah, Robs him of likely a triple. Harper gets hit by a pitch the next at bat, and then Castellanos comes up, gets it to a 3-2 count, and ends up grounding out to short to end the game. We'll get to that in a second. This catch, have you seen a greater catch in, in, in such a significant moment in the World Series in your life? I haven't seen a lot of them. Um, yeah. I think it makes it even more
1: significant when you consider the wall that he did it on. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of guys would probably immediately resort to catching that ball off the wall. They're not going to give up their body like Chaz McCormick did. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you look at any of the, the really popular catches that have happened over the past few years. Look at Cedric Mullins' catch or Austin Hayes' if you want to look at Orioles'. And they're really only half of their bodies hitting the wall and, and not so much even hitting because they're really just jumping and it's not something that's going to be super painful. This is one where he really smashed his entire body into the wall. He gave up his body to make the catch. I think that makes it a lot more impressive. And that's something that as a player, you know, when you're running back there, when you know you're going to run into that wall and it's going to hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. And he gave up his body and he did it. And I have to give him a lot of credit for that. That was an excellent catch. Top tier.
0: Oh, it, it was. You are watching it, and I am wanting the Phillies to come back. I am wanting them yeah. to win. He hit it. I am like, oh my god, oh my god! And then he makes a catch, and I couldn't even be mad. Yeah, it, I, it was it was incredible. He's from Westchester, PA, um,
1: which is not you know not too far from here, and I think he went to Millersville, which was a D two, I believe. So that's pretty cool. I
0: played with a guy who went to Millersville. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, nice. Yeah, I played with a guy at Harvard Community College who ended up going to Millersville. Mm-hmm. Yep. So very cool. Um, yeah, it, it was it was an absolutely incredible catch. Now we get back to that eighth inning, right? First and third, one out. You're down three to two. Brandon Marsh, who's had a nice postseason. He had some moments. Yeah. Strikes out. I'm a big Brandon Marsh guy. Uh, I like Brandon Marsh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan Darsh. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen that South Park I episode? I oh, haven't. From South Park. Check, check it out. South I kind of figured with the voice uh, you were doing. Check out Stan Darsh. It, it, you'll get what I'm saying. Um, you can't strike out there. You've got to put a ball in play. You, it, it, all you, if, with your speed, if you hit a ball into the hole... They're not going to turn over play on you. That, that, that tying run's going to score. Hit a fly ball. Yeah. Now you have Schwarber up, and Schwarber is a big all-or-nothing guy. Now he's having a nice World Series. He's been hot the last 10 games or so in the postseason after an 0-for-17 start. But And he hits the ball hard, but Mancini makes a great play now the inning's over. You, we saw that a lot with the Orioles this year. You've got to find a way to put a ball in play with the tying or go-ahead run on third base. You just have to. And the fact that he didn't... Uh, that stunk for the Phillies, and it yeah. it, it honestly it cost him the game. That strikeout was probably the biggest uh, offensive blunder, and it's not a blunder because strikeouts happen, but it's probably the the, the biggest. You look back on it and you're like, oh man, if only he had put a ball in play there,
1: right? Well, I'll tell you what, with that at bat, he didn't swing at a lot of strikes. Yeah, he, it, it, yeah, the
0: ball he struck out on, I believe, was like a twelve six curve in the dirt, so mm-hmm. that's kind of a problem. Well, and the other thing is, I believe that he that they had just walked. Uh, that wasn't it. I think it was Alec Bohm. Harper had just walked. Cast uh, Then Bohm comes up. or Harper walked. Castellanos got out. And then Bohm comes up, and he swung at... The guy... It was Stanek, I believe. No, no. It was Montero. And he had, it he, was Montero. He, he was struggling to throw strikes, yep. and, and Boehm just chased. Just chased the yep. entire bat. Ends up striking out. And then he walks Stott as the next yep. batter. And... Uh, the, that costs him. The, that that costs him offensively too, because you have a guy who's struggling to throw strikes. You're helping him out. You strike out. He walks. He walks. The sandwich guys around you. You put yourself in a tough situation there. Uh, in the ninth inning, with Harper on first base, it's a three-two count. Castellanos, man, just. Really tough season for him. It signs a big five-year, hundred and some odd million dollars. He's making over twenty million dollars a year. Hit over three hundred with over thirty home runs last year. He comes in in twenty twenty-two and he hits two fifty with what yeah. like eleven home runs, and he really hasn't endeared himself to Phillies fans. Yeah, he comes up in the in, in with the tying run on thir- on first base, two outs, and it's a three-two count. This is his opportunity. To drive a ball down the line, drive a ball in the gap. Harper's going to score from first. Yeah, it's your opportunity to erase the entire season and just build the lore, the allure around you in Phillies fans' minds. Three-two count. Harper's off on the pitch, and he grounds out weekly The shortstop. Yeah, it, it, it's just it, Castellanos has a lot, a long road to hoe to get back into the good graces of the Phillies fans. If you ask me, he's had an oh, he hasn't had a good postseason. He's had he's had some moments. He's had some nice the catch, catches. Yeah. The catch was 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 big. He's got a lot of work to do, in my opinion, to get into the good grace of, the, of these Phillies fans after the year he had in his first season in Philadelphia. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think that's why you you see the Phillies as an 86-win team, uh, rather than a 100-105-win team. Because, a lot you know, obviously you look at their lineup, and it's just not as strong as some of the other teams around them. Because guys like Castellanos and guys like Brandon Marsh have struggled in the bigger spots. Um, and Gene Segura when, wasn't hitter he used to you be. You know, Gene Segura, I was just thinking this when I was watching the World Series these past few days... One of the weirdest defenders you've ever seen, I know it's completely off topic, but that guy he throws every ball to first base, like he's trying to throw it as hard as he possibly can and he mm-hmm. he's so weird with the glove like every every movement he makes, just a weird defender. I don't know why I noticed that Gene Segura is a very odd player, but mm-hmm. I actually like him a lot.
0: Do you see the face he makes when he's batting? Yeah it's, he always it's, it's, it, it's like he's sucking on his own tongue. yeah, yeah right he's he does it interesting yeah well, well, if you could see me on camera, it's like he's got his tongue hanging out of his mouth yeah. between his lips and yeah, while he's batting anyway.
1: Yeah, I know. I I think Gene Segura is one of the more uh, interesting players in Major League Baseball. And when I watch him play defense, it always it always just makes me laugh. But yeah, I, I think there are some weaker spots like Brandon Marsh and Nick Castellanos who. Castellanos is a really good hitter when he's on. I've said a lot. He reminds me of JD Martinez in a lot mm-hmm. of ways because the guy can do everything at the plate. But yeah, as I mean, he, Castellanos hits a deep drive to left field, yeah. and that'll be a home run. We just need something bad to happen. Then Castellanos will do something good. Um that's usually how it works for him. But yeah, he he had to come up in that spot. And he's a middle of the order bat who has to be that middle of the order bat well, for them.
0: And I really think and, and um so they were talking about it on the broadcast, and I and I agree with this. I think John Smoltz said it. He's going to have a big year next year. He probably will, I, I, yeah. I really firmly believe... Because here's the thing. They have the lockout, right? You can't work out with your trainers. You have to like find new trainers. You can't work out with anybody affiliated with Major League Baseball during the lockout. Doesn't sign with the Phillies until mid-March. Yeah. And at that, at this point, you have to join a new team, get a ramp-up, get familiarized and everything like that. To, gets off to a slow start never picked it back up. I expect him to work. Right. All off season, I expect him to work with his trainers, with the team, yeah. uh, be in the batting. He'll probably take a month off and then be right back in the batting cages come January 1st. He'll probably take off the time for the holidays, and then late December, early January, he'll be right back in it, getting after it, and I fully expect him to come back and be closer to that 300 hitter with 30 home runs. Yeah. And if, if Castellanos is on for the Phillies next year, look out. It's a difference maker. Oh, it, he's the middle
1: of the order bat that they have middle of the order bats right now. Obviously, Bryce Harper is probably the best one there is, mm. but one other guy in there. Um, if you have Kyle Schwarber leading off, like they have done a lot in this World Series so far, and then you have you know maybe Bryson Stott takes the next step and Alec Bohm takes the next step, that's a dangerous lineup. I Brandon Marsh takes the next step. Brandon Marsh, I mean, he's still only, what, 25, 26 years he's old? He's not, he's not even. He's not he's, even. He's
0: 24. Yeah. He was drafted out of high school in the second round.
1: You're right. You're right. And he made it to the majors very quickly mm-hmm. for, for a guy he's like that. He's a good that. player. Um, and, and he's gonna only yeah. going to get better. He's a 5 tool talent. And I, that's why I was kind of confused when, uh, I believe it was the Angels gave up on him. And, yeah. and he's now a Philly Where and, he Confused that the angels gave up on him. (sighs) Maybe not. Maybe not. They know a thing or two about good outfielders. I'll say that. I mean, about
0: and they don't know a thing or two about anything else. No, that's oh wait no, they know a thing or two about good outfielders, two way players, and um (laughs) really long bad contracts. Mm, That's true. That's true. uh, C J Wilson, Josh Hamilton. Albert Pujols. Yeah. The list goes on. But, but, you, I, but you, you've seen,
1: to be fair, you've seen two guys come over from the Angels and Noah Syndergaard and Brandon Marsh, two guys that have not played uh, exceptionally in this World Series. I mean, Noah Syndergaard's start the other day wasn't, you know, wasn't he anything wasn't, to write home about. I
0: mean, they've been having him go th- go three innings and they had him go five in that. I, yeah. I think he went five in that game. That's but fair. I don't know. I, I I still believe in Syndergaard. But oh, I do too, <laughs> I, and I
1: think he's going to be a coveted free agent. I really do.
0: Tonight, Zach Wheeler versus Valdez. Yep. Uh, does the game end, does the series end tonight? In Houston. Uh,
1: Zach Wheeler's been great, and Zach Wheeler... Not his last star. Not, not his last star, but he in, during the playoffs, <laughs> I, I thought Zach Wheeler looked like Zach Wheeler in a lot of situations. Zach Wheeler is, if you look at the numbers, I said this last show... Is one of the best pitchers in baseball, but he, he doesn't get a lot of credit for some reason. I think because he's behind, you know, Aaron Nola a little bit. Nola takes more of the spotlight, but Zach Wheeler's really good. I I think he's going to give them the win tonight. I think Zach. I think Zach Wheeler's uh, to Game it, Seven. It,
0: it, I would love Ravens don't play tomorrow. Right. Um. You have the Arizona Fall League yep. All Star Game at four o'clock, and then eight o'clock Game Seven. Yeah. And then the reason I'm excited about the Arizona Fall League is because. Heston Kershaw. It's been one of the better. We're going to talk about him in the Banzer banter today too, because uh, question marks about him. But we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that later. He, but he's going to. He's in that All Star game. He's in the home run derby tonight. Um, but there's nothing better than Game Seven of the World Series. No. Nothing freaking better. Um, off season begins Monday at the at the latest. Free agency as early as Thursday, but no later than Friday, and then we can really get our hands dirty, man. We yep. can really like literally next week's show is going to be all Orioles offseason outlook. Yep. So it's it's going to be exciting. I I'm, I'm already feeling the, the heart palpitations. I'm getting excited about it. I do want to talk about Trey Mancini. We've got to get Stan on the line. So that's going to be the first thing we cover with Stan once we get him on the line. Want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by PressBox and FanDuel. Online sports betting will be starting in Maryland in the next few weeks. PressBox is your source for the best offers and sign-up incentives. Starting now, you can get a $100 pre-registration credit from our friends at FanDuel by going to pressboxonline.com offers. The $100 credit is in addition to the new user promo you will get when they go live. Just go to pressboxonline.com offers now. To get your $100 FanDuel pre-registration bonus credit, that's PressBoxOnline.com slash offers. Joining us now on the show for his weekly segment, he is Stan the Fan Charles, and he's live on the bat around. Stan, good morning. How are you?
3: Good morning. How you doing, guys?
0: Do- doing really, really well. Hoping for a uh, Game 7 tomorrow night, but they got to get through Game 6 tonight. Stan, we were going to talk about this in the intro. We ha- didn't have a chance to get to it. It is in my notes, but not at the top. But we're going to start here. Trey Mancini having a dreadful World Series, an even worse postseason. 0-6 in the World Series, 0-18 in the playoffs. He's pinch hit four with Alenismos Diaz in Game 3 with the tying and winning runs on base the other day. Makes a huge play at first in uh, to save the game in the bottom of the eighth inning in Game Four, but what's going on with Trey? Is this kind of the hitter that he is? You think he's pressing? What's going on with Trey, and what does the future hold for him after this World Series ends?
3: Well, it's, an, it's a, certainly an inopportune time. You know, he, he really uh, he arrived in Houston and immediately hit a couple home runs in the first you know few games and uh, looked like he was well worth. Uh, uh, their acquisition of him and he, and their plans were for him to to be an impact bat in our lineup and I'll tell you as as much as as much as um you know uh, we look at Alvarez and Tucker and Bregman as the big 3 that lineup is isn't quite what it's made out to be but I agree. I'll tell you what I know you're asking me about Mancini Pena has been really the star of this World Series. I mean, he has been absolutely fantastic throughout the whole postseason. Getting back to Trey, he was acquired to be a big bat, and he's he's failed miserably. Uh, it's not the first time in his career he's going to fail miserably, but, uh, you know, uh, he hung in there, and his mind was on what it was supposed to be on the other night when Guriel got hurt, and he played. Uh, he made a terrific play there at first base, you know.
0: Yeah, it saved the game because if, if that ball gets to the outfield, they may win that that baseball game. That that may be a two run double yeah. for, for Schwarber. Yeah, with... my
3: my biggest problem with that that inning that was that that was the play that ended the bottom of the eighth inning. I yes, believe. sir. I think uh, I know where you're
4: going with this. Uh,
3: was was I can't believe the Phillies have that kind of payroll, and there wasn't a pinch hitter for Brandon Marsh. That yeah. that was without a doubt, in my opinion, one of the most predictable spots for a pinch hitter. And, and don't get me wrong, I love the acquisition of Marsh by the Phillies, but if you're looking at a guy that you needed to make contact to get the ball in the outfield, mm-hmm. he was the wrong guy at the wrong time. And with two outs, that was just, uh, yeah, that was the play before a uh, ground out. You yeah. know? Uh, just absolutely horrible, but I will say this. I went back and I looked at the Phillies roster and they've got Matt Vierling, who's not a. He's probably better at putting the bat on the ball there against Presley. I mean, Presley's not easy. Let's, let's be clear about sure. that. But there, there was no. Uh, I'll lead you into something else. There was no Jake Cave there, a guy who you think could at least make some contact against mm-hmm. a right-handed pitcher. That was one of the worst at-bats I've ever seen in a World Series.
0: Well, Stan, I'll tell you, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because Zach and I actually just spent a good bit of time in the introduction to the show talking about that and how that was arguably the biggest swing at-bat of the game because you have runners on yep. first and third. You're down by a run. You've just gotten that second run home, and you have won yep. out. And all you need Marsh to do, especially with his speed coming mm-hmm. out of left-handed batter's box, is put a ball in play because it's going be yep. to be hard to double him up you hit a fly ball, you tie the game. you hit a ground ball some places hit slow enough with his speed, you're not getting a double play, yeah, and he strikes out. Yep. It was the biggest bat of the game, but they had
3: but they had Matt Vierling. they had that guy Edmundo Sosa, mm-hmm. and they got Garrett Stubbs. Stubbs may have actually been a better uh shot at at getting bat on ball in there, but Marsh was like to me. I was like an 80% chance he was going to strike out. Yeah, That's that Stan's analytics, you know, Stan's calculus. But I sat there and I go, I can't believe they don't have somebody better than this. But the answer is they really didn't. With I, all that money they've got spent, they they don't have anybody that comes up in that situation. I, I think so.
0: we just created a new segment on the show called Stanalytics. I think we did. We, uh, yeah, Stan, <laughs> Stanalytics. No, Stanalytics. Like that. Stanalytics. I like Stanalytics. I think I like we that. just came like up that. with that. It. Uh,
3: um, yeah, that's like uh, Jennifer Lopez with uh, the goal, the goalie. Uh, you know uh, those things that give her energy. Jennergy. Uh, oh, There you go. Yeah. Jennergy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Um, Analytics. Analytics. Now, Stan. Um, Nick but, Cassidy. But getting back to getting back to
3: Mancini. Yeah. What does this do? Uh, it was an inopportune time. I think Trey Mancini is going to get a one-year contract somewhere. Yeah. Um, um, and I still myself. I still I see a place where he can fit here, but I don't know what their real thoughts are on you know I know I know that Mike Elias deep down does not think that this is Trey Mancini you know that that that's the kind of player he is um, and he, he's going to have to battle back from it but I could see him ending up in like a Tampa on a one year sure. like six million dollar contract Tampa Bay I think like would be a now.
0: perfect spot for Trey Mancini. Yeah. If, if Trey Mancini came back here, Sam, being realistic about it, he's going to have to come back and accept the fact that he's not going to be an everyday player. Yeah. And, and that's right. and if he becomes an everyday player, it's going to be because he played his way into it. That's just how it would have to be. So I think Tampa Bay is right. a great and that's spot always,
3: that's always more, That's always more acceptable at another location. You know, yeah.
0: it yeah. always is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I want to talk a little bit, of, and I know he's not on the notes, but I want to talk a little bit about Nick Castellanos, because Stan, he had he got paid big money to be a big time bat in that lineup for the Phillies, and he just wasn't all season. Then you get to the postseason, he has a 3 2 count in with two outs in the bottom of the ninth, tying run on first base, Bryce Harper off on the pitch, grounds and he grounds out weekly to shortstop. This was his opportunity to erase any bad will that he had that he had gained for himself from Phillies fans by not performing this year. And he grounds out weekly. What did to short he do this
3: year? I didn't. I wasn't aware that he was that that miserable.
0: Um, he hit like he's normally a three hundred hitter. Uh, I believe he hit right. close to three hundred last year with uh, right. over thirty home runs. This year, he just basically. I am trying to find his stats. He hit something like two fifty eight, okay. and I think he had less than right. twenty home runs. It just was not a good year right. for Nick yeah. Cassidy. Yeah, he hit 263, 13 home right. runs. Um, 27 doubles, 62 runs batted in, and he had a negative WAR stand. This is a year after he hits 309 with 34 home runs and 38 yep. doubles, uh, and he drove in over a hundred. He yep. drove in 100 last year. Got paid all that money. And they
3: gave him. They gave him big money. And there's no question for that. No, no question on that. So.
0: I, I was saying to Zach, I he's got a long road to hoe. I think to re to endear himself to this Phillies fan base. Do you agree?
3: I uh, haven't really given it much thought. I, you know, sure. I, I think uh, right now they're in a an, an embrace with the team. Um, I, I think he's a real professional hitter. I know? do too. He would look awfully good. He would look awfully good in an Oriole uniform.
0: Yeah. I agree. And, and when and we st- talk
3: about when we talk about a breu you know who who they who they could go after. Um uh, there's a couple other hitters I have in in mind now that I think would make some sense for the Orioles.
1: Stan, is it a bad look that Nick Castellanos' wife went on Twitter and and told Philly it basically sucks? Is that something you think is a bad look for him?
3: Uh, I wasn't aware of that. That she went on. That's not a. That's not a real smart thing. To <laughs> it do. wasn't. Did great.
1: She ju- did she just? she just? Did she just do that this during the World Series? This was 12:44 last night. So, oh man, oh, he's it, probably getting a lot yeah. of hate. She said, Philly's fans yeah. taking swings yeah. at my family. You suck. Get a life."
3: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I agree with her. That, that, she's protecting. She's yeah. protecting her man, you know. Uh, and Philly fans will accept. Uh, you know, they'll accept that because they like toughness in Philadelphia, and that is, you know, that's tough. Philly fans know deep down they know they suck. <laughs> but they do bring their, they do, they do bring their intensity. They're an intense, intense fan base. Uh, you know, I, I found it interesting that they were on playing the Houston Texans in football the same night. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. And, and pretty the Texans,
0: the Texans stayed in that game for the better part of uh for the better part of three quarters. Yeah, they covered
3: They covered the spread too. There you yeah. go. There Lost you go. Twelve. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I yeah. do think that uh, Castellanos is going to come back next year and have a good year. I think he's going to just yeah. everything was working against him with, with the lockout, joining a new team, not having a big ramp up in spring training. I, I think he'll bounce back, right. and, have a, and, and that's going to be big for them if he has a big year. Now, Stan, we are 10 minutes into this segment, and we have not talked yeah. about a World Series no-hitter. And, and I've got to be honest, Stan, it was history. It's only the second time in World Series history that there's been a no-hitter, but it was combined. Right. And the Astros didn't seem to care about it. It, to me, it did nothing well, for me. Well, did, wait a minute
3: what, what do you What do you mean they didn't seem to care about it? So when Guriel, questioning when, whether no, no, they can, questioning whether the, the right thing to do was to take Javier
0: out. No, no, no. He was he was at ninety seven pitches through six innings. You're not bringing him back right, out. I don't right. I don't question if that. Anything,
3: if anything else, you should have taken him out after five innings.
0: Well, right, and you know, you if could, you really
3: want him, you know, uh, sharp for a game seven for a couple
0: innings, you know. Certainly, no, so, I, I don't. I don't disagree with you. When I say so the, the, I don't understand what you mean. They didn't seem to care. Well, right? I'll, I'll explain. When when Guriel catches yeah. the, the throw from Bregman at first base, he kind of throws his hands in the air and then he just kind of gives a soft clap. They run out to the mound and they do their normal victory celebration. They, do, they get in the line and do the high fives across the pitcher's mound. There's no dog pile, no jumping up and down, no. Big no hitter celebration, and I don't know if that's why it, like, combined no hitters never do well, it's, much. It's for a no
3: hitter. It's a no hitter, but it's not. You know, it's not an individual performance that they they're going to salute the, the guy who threw the no hitter. It's four guys that
0: did right. it. Right, right, so, and, and so it's yeah. not that they didn't and, and care, but it's just it wasn't yeah. that big a deal. As big a deal as, as you would normally think it would be.
3: Well, it's not as big a deal. It's not as big a deal as w- winning the World Series, and they're a game closer to winning the World Series, and that's really what's on Dusty Baker's mind, and that should be on every player's mind to celebrate. There could have sent the wrong message. You know, I, I, I just think their their goal is to win a World Series, and the no hitter was nice. Uh, as you say, it kind of it, it was there. Yeah. Just hung there, you
0: know. Zach says it's just a fancy shutout, is basically what it was. Yeah. Um, yep. Now, yep. Phillies' bats have gone cold. Kyle Schwarber does his part the first inning of the next game, first batter in the bottom of the first to not get no hit again, hits the leadoff home run. And then they don't score a run again until the eighth inning. The Phillies' bats have gone ice cold. In your opinion, with Valdez going tonight, even though the Phillies are countering with Wheeler, is the series basically over at this point?
3: No, I don't think the series is over at all. I mean, Wheeler is certainly capable of uh, of outdueling uh, Framber Valdez, but there's you know there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room in sure. this game. You know, if he lets up more than if he lets up more than two runs in this game in the first six innings, they're probably going to lose this this baseball game and and lose the series. But no, I don't think it's uh, over. I think there's there's the potential there. Look, I'm the guy that uh, three weeks ago thought that the Yankees were going to come back and win the first two games in New York to tie that series, and um, I feel a little bit the same way. It was who the hell was going to pitch it even after they tied that, you know, the Yankees, and I kind of feel that way now with the Phillies. You know, Nola uh, Nola was disappointing in the World Series, there's no question about it.
0: You know. Absolutely.
3: Yeah. Stan, how disappointment, and they, and that's probably the big difference in this series. You know, is that he didn't pitch well enough to win either game.
1: Stan, do you expect both teams to kind of throw both starters out there and make them, you know, give them their all essentially, and not have them on, you know, any any kind of pitch count, or do you expect maybe both of those guys to be saved for a possible game seven?
3: Mm. Now I think these two guys go after it. I okay. don't think either one of them come, come back for game seven, even for a batter or two. I just think they're going to give their all tonight. You know, look, if Wheeler somehow gets knocked down in the first – well, if, they, if Wheeler gets knocked down in the first inning, the series will probably be over. Yeah. Yeah. But if Valdez would somehow just something, get into trouble and have the bases loaded in the second inning and he's given up one or two runs in the first – would he be able to come up and face a, a Bryce Harper? Possibly. But I don't see either of these pitchers tonight. Now, now, because of Dusty Baker's, uh, uh, you know, looking ahead, uh, his taking Javier out the other night was, to me, was the right move. Yes, I would have probably done it after five innings with a 5-0 lead in that bullpen. Uh, but he's been their best pitcher the last two months of the season. Uh, he hasn't had a blip on his radar screen. Uh, Valdez had a couple games, including that game in Baltimore. He had two games in a row in mid-to-late mid to late September that he wasn't Tramber Valdez. So Phillies desperately need to put some runs up, uh, you know, two, three runs in the first two innings would be uh, would really help Zach Wheeler a lot tonight.
0: Yeah, I, I look to Bryce Harper to be the difference maker in the game tonight. The Phillies hope to get this to a Game 7. Uh, Stan, I want to talk a little bit about Ramon Arias. He wins a gold glove over at third base. Did it ball with playing just 98 games over there, 769 in the third innings at the hot corner. Uh, he becomes just the third Orioles third baseman all time to win a gold glove, joining Brooks Robinson, who obviously won 16 of them, and Manny Machado, who won two. Is it surprising mm-hmm. that Ramon was able to win that gold glove despite playing uh, such, few, uh, such a few amount of games? over there
3: it's not the overall games it's that 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 was that that award is such a reputation award that Mm -hmm. i would have guessed that matt chapman would have won it or jose ramirez right yeah yeah well ramirez is a he's a good fielder he's to me he's not great chapman is a real like artist over at third base so to to break that um that spell of just sort of it being the same guy that won it the year before and all that—that's a big deal, especially if you're, uh, you know, Ramon uh, Urias. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's a big deal to win. Yeah, the I mean, it was
3: a it was a big deal that he he was able to win it. I don't think they got it right as him being the most deserving uh, of the Oriole defenders. I thought Mateo uh, really. Oh, he was
0: Mateo was the biggest gold glove snub, gold glove snub in all baseball, not even being a yeah. finalist. Now, and that brings yeah. me to my next point, Stan. The Orioles have they have elite defense behind the plate at third base at shortstop in center field. Mount Castle's no no um no not too shabby over there at first base. But then you have Gunnar Henderson who's going to play on the left side of the infield more than likely. Uh, because I don't think he's playing second base uh, for the Orioles next year. You have Jordan Westberg, who's the Organizational Minor League Player of the Year. He's an infielder likely to get a shot at second base. We've talked about this a lot in the past, but Arias, he wins a gold glove. You have Mateo, gold glove caliber at shortstop. The Orioles have a legitimate roster crunch on their hands. So if Stan, the fan, Charles, is the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, how does he set his 2023 Orioles infield?
3: Um first of all I guess Roofnet Odor is is out the door uh, yes. and I think Jordan Westberg takes his place um, and uh, you know uh, you know I was I, I sort of laughed at Mike Elias when they signed uh, Odor you know mm-hmm. but Odor was an important guy in that locker room this yeah. year you yeah. know I think he showed them a little bit of how you win ball games and the toughness you need so I applaud him on the way out the door. He he could play on on most teams, but when you're trying to really get the team back to what it needs to be, Westberg is going to beat him out. I would think that Westberg and Urias will play a lot of uh, a lot of second base, and Henderson will play mostly at third base. Uh, and there'll be days where you know Urias moves over back over to third base. You know. I don't think Henderson's going to play second base either. You yeah. know, and this presupposes that somehow they they can't work. at, You know, Urias will probably never be be worth more than he is right now. Yeah. So I mean, he's definitely a possibility of being a player that other teams, while maybe not covet, but they'd say, hey, this is a way we can get better, and somehow he's packaged together with a prospect and Austin Hayes or something like that. You know, or him and Mullins go somewhere for a big time pitcher. You know, yeah, so I, I, I that, that's a possibility. Yeah,
0: I do think that either Mateo or Arias or both could be traded this off season. Yeah, um, and if you trade Mateo, you move Gunner to the shortstop and you have Arias playing third base every day. You the, the bat plays enough.
3: Well, if you have traded, but you said you think him or or both.
0: Uh, 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 both, either he, he Mateo, third or third. both. But I'm saying if you trade right. Mateo and you hang on to Arias, you have Gunner at shortstop. Okay. I think yep. uh, yeah, yep. you have Gunner at shortstop, yep. Arias at third, and Westberg at second. Yeah, and, and I think yep. that that gives you a really solid infield and uh, good, decent hitting all the way around. It, it's it's certainly yeah, an, got, it's a good got, problem.
3: They've got they've got value in their their trade chips this year. I mean, they it's not just. Uh, Bluffing, you know, to say that some team wouldn't give you a nice pitcher for, say, Mullins and and Urias or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: They, they've got a lot of ammo um, to work with this yep. offseason for sure. Yep. Um, one guy they don't have to worry about this offseason is Jake Cave. He agrees to a one-year split contract, which means his salary is determined by whether he's in the majors or the minors. He avoids arbitration. Is Jake Cave, and you mentioned him, that the Phillies could have used a guy like him coming off the bench to pinch hit for Brandon Marsh in the World Series – is he a legitimate candidate for the fourth outfield spot for the Orioles? When you think about the fact that they have McKenna, who was there all year this past season, Hayes is there. They're probably going to have Colton Cowser at some point. Uh, is he a legitimate fourth outfielder option?
3: I I I don't know that he's the fourth outfielder, uh, uh, you know, possibility. But he's a he's a somebody there saw something with him and liked something about him. Mm-hmm. I've always been intrigued with him. Uh, to own them a couple times in fantasy baseball, but he doesn't play enough to really be that guy for you there. Uh, I see him more as a depth piece, but I think he has does have a chance to make the team if they if they trade Mullins or or Hayes. I think he has a chance to be on the opening roster, but he's clearly uh, a depth piece. I think they, I won't say they're intrigued by him they I, they seem must see something in his splits that they really like. I looked at him last night, and I don't see it just doesn't jump out at me uh even against right handed pitching. He strikes out an awful lot, but his uh his peripherals are okay. i mean he had like a seven thirty five o p s uh as a left handed batter against right handed pitching so uh you know i it's a, it's an okay move, you know. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm not jumping up and down about it. Um, I you know I think he's a depth piece in the organization.
0: Well, I mean, if you combine his first two seasons in Minnesota, it's 163 games, and he has that's a 27 double, 21 home run guy there. Um, but he hasn't right. put up the same. He hasn't replicated those numbers. Yeah, he the last hasn't three done that in
3: about four years. Yeah, yeah. yeah So three four years. Yeah. So we'll, we'll
0: yeah, what what we'll
3: see with he here's something. They see something in him. Uh, they didn't just... That's just not an accidental pickup. Oh, oh J.K. Sure. is available. They they see something in him. Somebody there thinks they can un- unlock something with him. Uh, and I'm looking for that with the starting pitchers, is who they can find that they think they can unlock something extra. You know? Sure.
0: And, and like, I, you've, you've mentioned Lucas Giolito a, a, a few times mm-hmm. on the show about being a trade yeah. candidate to the Orioles. And unlocking something yep. there, so maybe that maybe that's something that they could look into. Sam, um, real yeah. quick, um, the guy
3: I really want, the guy I really want is Lizardo from the from the Marlins. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's who I think is really a stud.
0: They're shopping him. Could, be, could be, be having the right rotation,
3: deal. I want to get this rotation. I want to get this rotation where we got at least two left-handers in it, and right now we don't have any, but we've got John Means who'll be back at mid-season. Yeah, so we need to take advantage of that aspect of. Of Elias's plan, which is to stack, you know. That's the other thing. The ballpark, ballpark factor with with uh, Cave. You know, mm-hmm. he certainly fits what they like with his left-handed power. They definitely uh, in want this ballpark. They definitely yeah. want
0: left-handed hitting in this organization. Now, before yeah. we let you go, Stan, yeah. do you think that this team is going to? Pr- I think they're going to prioritize a couple of things, but do you think that they? go into the offseason looking to shore up the starting rotation first and foremost before they do anything else? you think it's just going to be a what comes to us, we're going to, we're going to do, it doesn't matter when we do it?
3: You know what, the, and I'm not, I'm not BSing you here, the, the pitching, when you look at what the real problem is on this team, yeah, mm-hmm. they, need, they need better starting pitching. But mm-hmm. what they really need is better production. They need yeah. to score more runs and I'll tell you the two players that I'm suddenly honing in on offensively um, to answer part of your question is, boy, you know, when you think about, I remember hearing Brandon Hyde talk about Odor, and who did he talk to about Odor, what kind of teammate he is? He talked to a guy that he knows pretty well, which is Anthony Rizzo. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
3: Rizzo, on a two-year $20 $20 million-a-year contract for the Orioles in this ballpark uh, with the with the uh, end of the shifting, he could be a really dynamic player I'd, for Baltimore Orioles.
0: I think he'd be a fan favorite. He's got that great personality that, that, that fans love. Yep. I think he'd be a good fit here. Yep. Right? I agree with that.
3: Yeah. And then you have yeah, one other guy. And the other player, the, the other player is, and it, we won't know whether he's actually going to be let go by his team until five days after the World Series. I don't think we're going to get Abreu. I think the price tag is going to go a little high on him. Mm-hmm. And also, I think there are a little little bit of age concerns with him. Uh, but Justin Turner would make a very interesting designated hitter on the Baltimore Orioles.
0: Yeah. It, 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 the, the one thing yeah. that concerns me there is that the power was down this year, and then you've got that big wall out there, and he probably wants one more decent contract before he calls it quits. Um, So I don't know that. Yeah, and I
3: don't know. I don't know that he's going to get that many. You know, the Dodgers have so much money that when you look at certain players like Andrew Heaney, Mm -hmm. Heaney is going to probably command. Believe it or not, and I had him two years ago in fantasy, and he absolutely killed my chances to win the championship, and I finished in third place. That when he was with the Yankees that was with it. he started the season with the angels and then he went to the Yankees. Yeah. But yeah. he came back and he's got his, his numbers are really like the strikeouts, like he strikes out 35% of the batters. He faces, you mm-hmm. know? So he's, he's, he. but the Dodgers can pay him. They could sign him to a two year, $30 million contract just as insurance. That's the kind of money they have. That's crazy. So my point is, they may sign Turner just to say, you know what? He's going to cost us $14 million or fifteen for one year. Let's keep Turner here, you know, as in, uh, a really uh, hefty insurance policy.
0: So, you can make the argument he's more uh, valuable to the Dodgers at this he, point than anybody else. Yeah, but if he's a free agent, you talk
3: about some of the things that Odor did with this team, you know, teaching players how to win.
2: Mm-hmm. um
3: I, I think he would have a really dynamite um, effect in that clubhouse, Justin Turner.
2: Yeah, so,
0: you those are
3: my two guys, Rizzo or Turner. or Turner. All
0: right. I I, I I wouldn't hate either one of them being here for sure. Yeah. Uh, Stan, what do you have they, coming they up they this definitely week?
3: Need some, they definitely need something in that lineup. There's no question about it. We can gotta all have, agree on that. Got to have a lot more juice. Um, don't have uh, Monday night's guest yet um we work on it late into the week uh it's just a week's fly by and sure. then all of a sudden we're not scurrying but we're looking we've got danny black who's a collectibles expert that does some stuff with us now uh content wise on press box we're going to talk about some content stuff on thursday night at seven and the week after that we've got the uh, director of the maryland lottery and sports gaming uh john martin will be on with us the next uh, those are the next two thursdays and i'll also be having joe weinberg who's one of the principals in live casino hotel uh, uh talking about the uh, sports betting uh that's on the doorstep right now
0: all, all right. right well we'll look forward to it. we will talk to you next week and so enjoy the rest of the world Series. all right
3: always a pleasure yep i hope it goes seven me too all right see, you. see you later bye
0: And that was Stan the Fan, Charles, who has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Thursday night Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week Stan and Ross were joined by former Orioles turned Giants instructor Shane Turner plus Stan and Gary caught up with Ravens Vault podcast host Sarah Ellison. Find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressbox sports or pressboxonline.com slash video. Stan and Ross are back on monday for another great show guest guest to be determined and then as stan just said on thursday night he and gary stein will chat with danny black at 7 p.m so you won't want to miss that it is now time for sounding off with zach goodman today's sounding off uh segment is brought to you by the toyota tacoma The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. Zach, what do you have for us?
1: So, I think a lot of people probably saw this earlier this week. Um, And I I didn't actually... I'm not sure entirely what game this was at, but a fan went up to Rob Manfred at the World Series and basically walked up to him and started screaming at him that local blackouts should not exist. And this is something that I've talked about before on signing off. I'm pretty against them. Um, I don't really see a reason anymore. I don't see a logical reason that Major League Baseball should implement local blackouts. And what I mean by this is this is through... MLB TV, Uh, basically the only service that you can actually stream baseball on. There's not many of them. I mean, you look look at the NFL, and I personally have Hulu, so I can watch the NFL. I pay like 70 bucks a month, and you can watch all the games and all TV. That's how you cut the cord and get away from cable is
0: you do something like
1: that. Um, How do you watch Masson? So I watch Masson. Well, I, I... usually when i'm home during the summer we have cable and that's basically mm-hmm. one of the only ways um but there's other ways to get around it but it's it's not easy um you certainly got to figure Pirate. out and i don't usually get into that but there's some other ways to get around it like you can with with the service provider that we have in in fios you can actually watch it while you're not at home so that's kind of the way i have to get around it a lot of times but there's no easy way to watch baseball and that's kind of one of the main points i'm trying to make here and Major League Baseball basically gives you one option—it's MLB TV. But if you're in the local area that your your team is, um, like we're in Baltimore, so we can't watch the Orioles on MLB TV, and that's never made a lot of sense to me because I'm personally, if I'm going to get MLB TV, it's going to be to watch the teams in my mm-hmm. market, and I think <laughs> 95% of people who buy MLB TV. Or, or would want to buy MLB TV is because they want to watch the teams in their market and there are some people who like to watch other teams but for me local blackouts I don't know the reasoning behind it I've never understood it and they well they want to make the the cable providers probably number one money um, and number two they probably uh, get more money if they don't uh, implement well, these if so, they do implement these local so blackouts here, here's it's the a money well,
0: thing well, it's got to well, be it, it's 100% a money thing but what it comes down to is a lot of these teams like the Orioles the Dodgers the Yankees the Red Sox they have their own networks they, they have regional sports networks yeah. and the regional sports networks aren't going to make money if right. Major League Baseball doesn't black out um, local games now the way that Major League Baseball gets around it is they're going to have to spend money and Major League Baseball is going to have to pay these regional sports networks to broadcast their games on MLB TV now, I don't know what that sum's going to be, but it would be millions of dollars to, I to, to each team that, that you want to bring. Major League Baseball can afford it, but everything's about money. They're not going to do that. We can figure this out financially. Like I, I That's I, the I way you figure it I out. I don't think there should be a
1: financial barrier here. And I, I know it's a money thing. I mean, I know that's why the blackout restrictions are in place. But I, first of all, Major League Baseball, you look at their revenue, and it's great. I mean, they're mm-hmm. making billions and billions of dollars every year. And every team... Tens you know, I, of billions. Tens of billions of dollars. And every team is making a profit for the most part now. During COVID, that wasn't true. But they're going to make more profit if you let the teams... Uh, broadcast their games on MLB TV within the local market. Well, it makes and, sense. And, and, and again, though,
0: it's not really Major League Baseball's call because of I these, not. Because of guess these guess not. Re- regional sports networks. You can get mad at the regional sports network. You can get mad at Masson for not letting you stream Masson on your phone unless you have a cable provider and then not being attached to all the cable providers that are in their region. Major League Baseball, the best way that they can do it is pay these regional networks yeah, yeah. to broadcast their games on MoBTV. TV. But again, you're going to have to spend, spend millions of dollars on each team that has a regional sports network to broadcast their games, yeah. and it, again, we know what just happened with this lockout, with the owners, you know, digging their heels in. That's not likely to happen. Right. It's it's all about money, and people can bitch and moan about all they want. And Fred, uh, uh, Fred. Rob Manfred's not going to come out and say we would have to pay millions of dollars to each team that has yeah. a regional sports network, but that's what it comes down to. No doubt, you're right. That's what it comes down no to. No doubt. I'm because just not th- a fan of it. No, and we we all are. And I, I I used to be with T-Mobile and I got free MLB TV yep. every year, and by buying an Oriole season, if you buy an Oriole season, take plan, you get free MLB TV. Yep. I'm just throwing that, that out there. This year, I moved to Verizon and I still got free MLB TV because I got a 13 game plan with the Orioles. So, know. um. Yeah, but I wouldn't I wouldn't buy it otherwise because I have no reason to. Because I watched the Orioles games on Masson. And, right. and they would get a lot more subscribers that would probably make up for that money if they paid the the teams well, that's what I'm saying. to bro- to right. broadcast the games. But you that's telling them to spend money without guarantee that they're gonna make money. But they always make money. They're Major League Baseball. Good segment. Good segment. All right, we gotta catch our first break. Um, today's show brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel come experience Maryland's number one sportsbook this NFL season at the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel the ultimate place for any sports enthusiast take advantage of our 24 7 kiosks massive video screens and watch all the action from the best seat in the house with more money paid out than anyone around make every moment more at the new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover Maryland gotta catch a break when we come back from the AT&T, from AT&T Sportsnet, he covers the Houston Astros as their play-by-play man. He is Todd Callison. He's next on the Battle round
4: glory days grills octoberfest menu is now running it's one of their most popular seasonal menus all year it features the chicken schnitzel the octoberfest brewer's platter the brewer's sausage sandwich the bavarian burger with a pretzel bun the cheddar ale soup the slam dunk pretzels and the apple cobbler all of these meals pair well with octoberfest beers and angry orchard on draft dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and pick up your favorites to take home glory days grill great food good sports what's up everyone The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, November 15th at Mother's North Grill in Timonium. It's brought to you by Maryland Vascular Specialists and the all-new Ginsu Kamado Grill. That first sip. That first bite.
6: Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms.
4: United States citizen, possess a valid driver's license, and have a high school diploma or GED equivalent. The Baltimore County Police Department is an equal opportunity employer.
7: Stan the Fan here, welcoming back one of my favorite sponsors, the Costas Inn. And everybody around Baltimore knows the Costas Inn is a great place to go and grab crabs, steaks, salads, soups, whatever's on your mind to eat in person. But did you know that the Costas Inn has upped their game? They are now one of the premier takeout places in Baltimore. Give them a call now to order your food 410 477 1975. That's the Costas sin over 4100 North Point Boulevard.
4: Tailgate. That's GinsuGrills.com. Reserve yours today.
0: All right. Welcome back. to the Bat-Around, today's show, hour number two, excuse me, brought to you by the latest edition of Press Box, which is available now on the cover. New Maryland basketball coach Kevin Willard sits down with Stan Charles and Glenn Clark to discuss the situation he inherited in College Park and how he plans to get the program turned around. Also inside, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from all the teams in the area, and both smoker Profiles Ravens receiver Devin Duvernay. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Joining us now on the program, he is the play-by-play man for AT&T Sportsnet for the Houston Astros. He is Todd Callis, and he's live on the batter. Round. Good morning, Todd. It's Paul. It's Zach. How are you today? Hang on. We're having a connection issue. Give me just a second there, Todd. Do- are you there talking? Hear me? up Oh. Sincerest apologies, Zach. What, what do we got going on over there?
1: I'm not entirely sure. Todd? I don't. Nothing. Nothing is uh, is off over here. So, right, Todd, we're
0: going to give you a call back here in just a second. If you can bear with us, we're having a technical difficulty with our soundboard. So, Zach's going to give him a call back. Really interested in talking with Todd. Uh, he is a very well-known broadcaster for the Houston Astros. The Astros, of course, a win away from a World Series championship. Here, they would be their second World Series championship in the last six years. Playing in their fourth World Series in six years. I'm interested to know what their what the Astros' legacy is, because this has been an epic six-year run for them, but they have just the one World Series title despite playing in four. Uh, Justin Verlander picks up his first career World Series victory last night, playing in his fifth World Series, making his ninth start. Do we have Todd back? I think we have Todd back. Todd, come morning. So can you hear me? Yep, oh, we got you, Todd. Can you hear me? All right, cool. S- sorry about that. Now, the Astros, they're a win away from a World Series championship Todd, what does it say about the Astros' six-year run, where they're now playing in their fourth World Series in six years? If they win it, and what does it say if they don't?
5: Yeah, it's been in a major run. I don't, something we may not see for a long time. I don't. No team's ever won or ever got into six League Championship Series in six years. The Braves had a run there with a, a year in between with a strike, but. Yeah, it's been phenomenal, and uh, adding a a World Series title tonight or tomorrow would certainly help things out in terms of what people remember of this Astros team, because right now, everybody knows what happened in 2017. So if they can get one here in 2022, five years later, uh, this place is ready to explode tonight.
0: Yeah, it, it certainly looks like, it. and you kind of felt that atmosphere in Philadelphia on the other side of things, ready to explode with those games. And the Astros managed to quiet that down, winning games four and five on the road. Dusty Baker, 2093 career wins, ninth most all-time, most amongst active managers. Now that Tony La Russa is out in Chicago, this would be his first World Series title. Now, sure, the players want to win anyway. But how badly does that clubhouse want this for their skipper? And does that give them a little bit of extra juice?
5: Yeah, I think there's so much juice in this series anyhow that I'm not sure they need too many more motivating factors, but that is certainly one of them if they did. Uh, Dusty has been a lifer in the game, and he thought he may never get another chance at a World Series. And then Jim Crane, the owner, uh, called him and sought him out as he was one of the guys that interviewed for this job and ultimately got this job. So... Yeah, for Dusty to get this World Series title, if he gets it tonight or tomorrow in his 25th year as a manager, he's already probably a Hall of of Fame manager based on his 2,000 wins, but this would just solidify it. Uh, It would mean the world to Dusty. I was talking to a few people who were inside the celebration after the Yankees sweep in the ALCS, and they said Dusty was as excited as any player in that clubhouse. So I can imagine Dusty probably didn't sleep a whole lot last night, even though this team is pretty much – Sleep-deprived here over the last few weeks, but Dusty was probably ready to go at 5 in the morning today, getting ready for what could be his first World Series title as a manager.
0: And it was a brilliant hire. Uh, for the Astros to bring him in. After everything going on from the 2017 team, with all that scandal, you bring in a guy that's just well-liked universally across baseball, going for his first World Series win. It's it's certainly a reason to root for the Astros if you aren't already. And I know this isn't Astros-related, but you talk about how Dusty Baker is already a Hall of Famer with 2,000 wins. If he wins a World Series, it solidifies that. In Baltimore where we are very fond of a guy named Buck Showalter. He's won 3 managers of the year manager of the year awards. He is in line to win another one in the National League there a fourth one. Never won a World Series, never been to a World Series. Is he a Hall of Famer? And I know it's a little off topic.
5: Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that to be honest with you. I think he is certainly in that in that conversation. I think it's easy for anybody when they ask about a guy whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. It's easy just to say yes because everybody wants to be uh, positive about whoever you're speaking with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think Buck's on that train on that track. And I, I I would have to look up how many managerial career wins he has. Do you have that number?
0: Uh, I don't in front of me. I remember he got his thousandth win in 2012 in May. Uh, For the Orioles, and he's been managing for quite a while since. And so, I have to say, he's probably around sixteen or seventeen hundred. My producer's pulling that number up as we speak, Zach. Yeah, I think
5: I think he is. I think he's on his way. Certainly, a a couple of successful years with the Mets is going to solidify that. But uh, Buck has has been with a lot of organizations and has been very successful. So I would say it is likely. I think if his career ended today, I'd have to look deeper into the numbers, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Uh, if Buck ends up as a Hall of Famer.
1: So he is 1,652 and 1,578. That's a five eleven win percentage.
0: In over 3,000 games, not a bad record at all. Now getting back to the World Series and the Astros Game 4 uh, features just a second no-hitter in World Series history. It, Todd, it was a combined no-hitter. Combined no-hitters do very little for me, and I tried to get myself excited about it because it's the World Series, and I still couldn't does get over the top about it. It, all, it didn't look like the Astros. The Astros are business as usual here, right? Uh, Guriel catches the final out of first base on the throw from Bregman, throws his hands in the air for a second, claps, and then they do their normal victory celebration. We did hear that they're going to celebrate it correctly uh, once they've won, when and if they win the World Series. For, for me, like I said, I didn't get too hyped up about it. Is that kind of the sentiment around the team as well, that it was just kind of like a fancy shutout because it's the World Series and it was combined?
5: I think what they were, you know, it was the game was pretty intense going in because they knew they couldn't get down three, one of the series. So I think, you know, first and foremost, your, your major focus is to win that game. So once that game was kind of at hand, then they, they celebrated a little bit with that world series. I think, you know, Christian Vasquez called a great game. Christian Javier executed that game plan. And then the guys out of the bullpen did the same. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it's still historic. It's still a huge moment in Astros history, Uh, but in terms of drama, it it probably didn't have the same drama as if a guy who went nine innings was pitching uh, a no-hitter. But, you know, I go back to the Yankee Stadium no-hitter this year, and that was was incredible because, you know, the Yankees haven't been no-hit much in the last 40 or 50 years. Only the Astros have done it, and now they've done it twice, and both times have been combined no-hitters. I think, you know, right now we're still in that era where, we're used to one pitcher going a distance for a no hitter or a perfect game, mm-hmm. but that's going to get fewer and further between, I think, as we move forward in our baseball fandom because pitchers just simply don't throw nine innings very often
0: anymore. Well, yeah, and you look at um, you look at Vasquez that night. He had thrown ninety seven pitches in six innings. There's no way he's coming back out for the seventh inning. And it used to be even ten years ago, you'd give that guy every opportunity to go out there and finish that game out for himself, even if he has to throw 140 pitches. So I agree with you on that one. Now, Justin Verlander, crazily enough, he's pitching in his fifth World Series, making his ninth World Series start and finally gets his first World Series victory as a starting pitcher. How big was that win for Verlander? Is it kind of like a monkey off the back now for him?
5: Yeah, a huge weight off his shoulders. he He was acting like a kid after the game. He was so excited. Every interview I saw, of him he was as fired up as i've seen him after a start in a long time uh it was the last start of the 2022 season he knew all the questions going in were about not having a win in a world series and eight starts being 0 and seven so yeah it was important for him most importantly the team got the win but he certainly wanted to add that w to his name so uh i guess they threw him in the shopping cart they threw him into the shower and fired a lot of liquids on top of him treated him like a rookie winning his first major league game after that one in the post-game celebration. So it was a cool moment for JV. It was a cool moment for the team. And uh, more importantly, that was a huge, pivotal game to give the Astros a chance to wrap it up tonight.
0: Cool to be able to treat a 17-year veteran like a rookie and probably getting that treatment from a rookie himself and Jeremy Pena. The team loses Carlos Correa in the offseason. Here comes Jeremy Pena. He hits, he wins a gold glove. It shorts up first rookie to do that. Uh, hits 20 homers, and he could be the World Series MVP you're never going to forget about Carlos Correa and his contributions, but how how easy has Jeremy Pena made this transition for the Astros and their fan base?
5: It's been incredible. And I remember my first impressions of this kid was that he was, he was a strong kid. Like, I didn't realize how big he was and strong. And then he, he knows how to play the game. Like, all the little nuances about Jeremy in the field, base running, just knows the game of baseball and some of that, you know, obviously rubbed off from his dad being a major league player growing up with that. But then as the season progressed early on, there were a couple big moments early where he hit a walk-off home run a couple of times in his first two or three months of his career. And you're thinking this kid really enjoys the moment. He can slow things down in the most pressurized situation, even coming in for Carlos Correa, who had an incredible career here in Houston, even with all that on his shoulders, And even in those biggest moments, you know, in a possible walk-off situation, he was coming through. Now, did that mean I was going to see that translate to a possible ALCS MVP and a possible World Series MVP? Not necessarily, but this kid has has been amazing. He has been the key to the offense. And one of the reasons why the Astros were on the doorstep of a World Series title, Pena could win a second MVP if if things go well tonight.
0: It kind of reminds me of Juan Soto with the Nationals in 2019, just that young kid who you're watching on the brink of superstardom, making his name known in the World Series. It's been awesome to watch for sure. Now, whether we like it or not, Todd, the offseason starts Monday morning. Um, What do the Astros need to do this coming offseason to ensure that they can get back to another World Series? Because when you look at it, they're not going to have 19 games against a really bad A's team or a really bad Angels team. It's, you're going down to 14 games against division opponents. You've got to play every team in baseball, so it makes, may make things easier for the come-up Seattle Mariners and Texas Rangers. Is Could the title window be closing, and what do the Astros need to do to make sure that that's not the case?
5: Yeah, just a few tweaks here and there. I mean, Michael Brantley's contract is up, but they didn't have Brantley all this season, at least the second half. Uh, with that injury, Justin Verlander can opt out of his contract. So that'll be a big decision for him. And then if he makes that decision, the Astros will obviously do their best to get him re-signed. And if not, they'll have to, you know, look for a piece or two. They have, uh, they have incredible depth in their pitching starting and relieving right now, as good as it's been uh, in the six years I've been here. So, uh, the other question would be Yuli Guriel, who was uh, in his late 30s at first base and did not have a good season. He, he is having a nice postseason, mm-hmm. but he is not signed for next year. So, to me, the biggest those are the biggest questions. Chas McCormick has maybe solidified himself in center field, whereas early in the year he was probably just fighting for a job. So, to me, it would be first base and then that DH left field spot and then possibly uh, a second catcher to go along with Maldonado as your three. Area, so just kind of tweaking here and there, and uh, they're still in a really good spot to continue this run next season.
0: Yeah, you you have all the pitching in the world to get to do it again. Um, Trey Mancini uh, got traded over there from the Orioles. He's zero for eighteen this postseason, zero for six in the World Series. Had the really big play at first base after the Gurriel injury to save the game um, in the bottom of the eighth inning the other night. Is is there not op- a chance that maybe they bring him back as a bench player and a backup first baseman, or do you think that his uh, time in Houston is coming to a close?
5: Yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting one. I love the fact that Trey's here, and I love the fact that he's getting a chance to play in the postseason for the first time. I think you know all his comments have been on point and what you would expect out of a guy of his character. He basically said, you know, after Game Five of the World Series, he goes, "I was brought over here." To bring quality at bats, and I haven't been able to do that. And it's been frustrating. I know it's been weighing on him. I don't know Mm. him personally as well as a lot of Baltimore people do, uh, but I know it has been weighing on him. And it's one of those things where he is doing everything he can to give himself the best chance in every at bat. It's just not working out right now. And he's not the only one. Alemis Diaz is struggling uh, since the ALDS. Jordan Alvarez has struggled. Mm. Jose Altuve struggled early in the postseason. So, uh, Trey's not the only one, but Trey has really been battling. So for him to make that play over first base the other night was huge. But to answer your question, I think they're going to look at Trey along with other people as candidates over in that first base and part-time DH role. But you know, I don't know if the, the time here is obviously given them a chance to get to know Trey better. Mm-hmm. Not that they didn't know he was a man of great character going into this, but I think certainly everybody loves Trey here in the Astros clubhouse. So. Uh, we'll see. I, I think Trey will find his right place, whether it's here in Houston or not, but um, I think he'll probably want some regular bats somewhere, and, and sure. whether that's with the Astros or somebody else. Uh,
0: and the Astros will be lucky to have him for a full season. Trey is just a hell of a human being. He's probably a better person than he is, a baseball player, and that's saying something. So, uh, Look, we know you got at least one more game to call, so we're going to let you go so you can rest that voice for tonight's game. Uh, where can people find you if they're looking for you?
5: Twitter, Twitter on real, at, at real Todd Callis.
0: All right, we'll be sure to, tell, to have everybody give you a follow. Todd, thank you so much for taking some time for us. Good luck tonight, and uh, hopefully you'll be calling a World Series victory.
5: I would love it. Hopefully the, the champagne is blowing tonight, guys. Thanks.
0: All right, enjoy yourself. See you. That's Todd Callis from the AT&T Sportsnet, legendary broadcaster for the Houston Astros joining us on the show. we got to catch a break. Before we do... Want to remind you? that online sports betting will be starting in maryland in the next few weeks and Pressbox is your source for the best offers and sign up incentives starting now you can get a hundred dollar pre-registration credit from our friends at fanduel by going to pressboxonline.com offers the hundred dollar credit is in addition to the new user promo you will get when they go live just go to pressboxonline.com offers now to get your one hundred dollar fanduel pre-registration bonus credit that's pressboxonline.com offers we're going to catch a break when we come back in the better round. And then we're going to have Connor Newcomb from the Locked On Orioles podcast to do some Orioles banter with us. That and more next on
4: the better round. and food and drink specials we'll see you at guilford hall brewery make the most out of every day in your toyota rav4 available in hybrid or gas only models a rav4 can get you where you want to go in style check out
6: buyatoyota.com for deals on new rav4s from your local toyota dealer
4: today Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 12th at any of the 13 Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate, and you will also get a free t-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash ToyDrive. 410- 8875542 You must be a United States citizen possess a valid driver's license and have a high school diploma or GED equivalent. The Baltimore County Police Department is an equal opportunity employer.
0: Sports betting has come to Maryland, and we're ready to help you win some money. Tune in for Simply the Bets every Tuesday morning at 1140. Bindle Sportsbook Assistant GM Leon Twyman and v Aaron Oster join the guys every week to give you all of the info you need and offer you a few winners. And every other Thursday at 1140, tune in for Weekend at Bookies as Andrew Stecka and Alloy Sports' Brad Kronthal help make you some money for the weekend. So come win some money with us on Simply the Bets every Tuesday and weekend at Bookies every other Thursday.
4: Tailgate. That's ginsugrills.com. Reserve yours today. We're
0: back live on the Battle Round. The Battle Round brought to you by the all-new Ginsu Kamado Grill, the which is the perfect ceramic tailgate or home grill to sear grill bake, and smoke all kinds of food. Get the details and reserve yours today at GinsuGrills.com and use the code TAILGATE to get $100 off your order. Come get a sample of the cooking from the Ginsu Kamado Grill before every Ravens home game this season at the Game Day Firehouse located at the Firefighters Union Hall just west of the stadium at 1202 Ridgely Street. You can stop by, try some food, and enter to win a Ginsu Kamado Ceramic Grill and $500 worth of grilling meats. Zach, I think for the next Ravens home game, you have to go. Well, I think to, I, the ga- to the game day firehouse, because you need a Ginsu Kamado grill to cook your Smammon. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I, I set the fire alarm off and everything
1: last night. I mean, <laughs> man, I really need a Ginsu grill.
0: Yeah, you need to go get it. I'm not sure they'd but,
1: appreciate but, it like inside the apartment, though. Yeah. Not sure they'd like that. Yeah. But hey, we got a backyard.
0: Yeah, you got a backyard. Throw a little Ginsu grill back there. Um, so I had a friend back in the day when I worked at Bonefish who called me her Smammon. That's uh, so every now and again I will call salmon smammon just uh, as, as, as an ode to
1: her salmon's a great food salmon's a great food It is. I, I enjoy smammon you can ask my dad I mean he eats it like six days a week I'm not even kidding that's not an exaggeration all right. six right. days a week
0: well more smammon details to come all right We've got to get to the better round. The better round brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel. Come experience Maryland's number one sportsbook this NFL season at the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel, the ultimate place for any sports enthusiast take advantage of our 24-7 kiosks, massive video screens, and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. With more money paid out than anyone around, make every moment more at the new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. The FanDuel Sportsbook is where we... We get our bets for the bet around. Last week, we told you to take the under on seven runs at minus 110. We hit Astros 1-5 to 1. We told you to take Alex Bregman at plus 500 to homer. We hit. Alex Bregman hit a two-run homer. Not a bet, but we told you Altuve's bat was heating up and that he'd have a big game. He went three for five. Hit. This week, you got Zach Wheeler versus Frembo Valdez this evening in game six of the World Series. The under- of seven runs is playing at minus one twenty eight, and I'm saying take it, take the under. It's going to be a pitchers' duel tonight. I'm looking at a three to two um, or a four to two ball game. You will not make a ton of money
1: off it because it is the it is the the favored line, correct? Like yes, it, it, is, it, the, it,
0: it is the favored line. But uh, I, I, if you want to make any kind of money, if you want to bet your one twenty eight bucks to win a hundred, then take the under. Because I, yeah, I, I I I think you're looking at one team might score no one or no runs. There's already been two shutout three shutouts, three shutouts in this in this World Series. Yeah. I'm saying take the under on this one. I'm also saying big game, big player. Take Bryce Harper at plus 440 to hit yeah. a home run tonight. If the Phillies are going to win this game, Harper's going to have to shine bright and have a big moment. I think he's got another one in that bat of his. I'm taking Bryce Harper at plus 440 to homer. So. You know, we were right in our predictions last week. Yeah. We're, we're if you pay attention, Zach and I are right <laughs> a lot. We are on this show, like when we called the Renato Nunez and uh, Hanser Alberto DFAs two months before they happened. That started it, and then we've had the, kind of a, we've a string been, after that. We've been we've been pretty on point ever since then. So um, that again, taking the under on seven runs at minus one twenty eight, and taking Bryce Harper plus four forty the homer in Game Six of the World Series. That's gonna do it for the bet around. More on the bat around. We're going to have Connor Newcomb. Zach, you want to give Connor I will. a call here. Connor is going to join us here from the Locked On Orioles podcast in just a moment. A lot of things going on with the Orioles. Whether the World Series ends today or tomorrow, free agency begins the end of next week. It's... We're sad to see baseball go, but we're happy to see the Orioles maybe start to make some moves and get themselves back to being a playoff contender in 2023 and beyond. And there's a lot of questions about this team. And for once, it's good questions. What? Just speak into the mic. (laughs)
1: Yeah, sorry, I, I don't have the number for some reason. So how if you do, shoot we, me Connor's number. How
0: do you not have I don't know. We Conor. had him on a
1: few weeks ago. Maybe maybe that was one of the Ryan Blake shows. I, I don't remember. No,
0: no, no. We he was it was definitely I, with with you. We've had him on enough that you should have Connor's number. Apple,
1: figure it out. I think it's Apple, uh screw up my contacts.
0: Maybe just save him in your contacts. Yeah, that bro. might be a good idea. I, I think that's probably your best bet. <laughs> I'd, I'd just appreciate the uh the All send. Right. I'm going to uh, share this with Zachary Goodman. As awesome, we thank speak.
1: you. No, it's, that's on Apple. We'll blame them. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's the, never
0: it's never Zach's it's, fault. It's the iCloud. God bless your future <laughs> wife, man. Um, so we're gonna have Connor here to, to join us. A lot of you know good questions for the Orioles. What's their outfield gonna look like? What's their infield gonna look like? Because they have too many good defenders and too few spots. Too many good players and too few spots. Heston Kerstad, he's lighting it up in the Arizona Fall League, but he's striking out a 30% clip against... They have 16 top 100 prospects in the Arizona Fall League, and only two of them are pitchers. And Heston Kerstad, while hitting close to 360, leading the league in home runs, striking out a 30% clip. He's in the home run derby tonight. He's going to be in the uh, Arizona Fall League All-Star game tomorrow. Um, So we're going to have to see what kind of player he is, it's better than the alternative. It's not like he's striking out a 30% clip and hitting 120. So when he is making contact, he's doing a lot of damage. So we're going to talk about that and Trey Mancini's terrible World Series and what the future holds for him. On the line with us now from the Locked On Orioles podcast is Connor Newcomb. And Connor, it's Paul. Good morning. Thanks for taking some time for us today.
6: Paul, thank you uh, so much for having me on. It uh, it is a good morning because we know that either today or tomorrow, the off season starts and mm. the fun begins.
0: Oh, absolutely, and that's what—that's why you're on the show with us. It's not really an interview at this point with you, Connor. It's just we're going to have some talking points here about it's Orioles banter for a reason. We're going to be looking at the Orioles infield to start, and you just did it, your um, your episode on Ramonarias winning a Gold Glove now. Ramon wins with just 98 games, played at the hot corner, 769 in the third innings, but 14 defensive runs saved. He was clearly the best defensive third baseman in the American League. Came a long way from when I watched him bounce two warm-up throws on opening day in the uh, prior to the first inning to win that gold glove. You have him at third base. You have Jorge Mateo at shortstop, who it was, by every defensive metric, the best defensive shortstop in the game and didn't even finish as a finalist in the American League. You've got strong defense up the middle with uh, Mullins in center field and Rutschman behind the plate. But you also have Gunnar Henderson, who you're, you're going to play every day. He's going to take up one of those spots on the left side of the infield because he you don't really want him playing second base. Your minor league player of the year in Jordan Westberg is likely to play second base. What do you do with Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo uh, for the 2023 season, Gunnar?
6: Paul, I appreciate you getting to the most difficult question, probably, of this roster crunch for this offseason. Because, you know, on one hand, it is really nice that the Orioles are finally charged with, like, these tough decisions. Mm -hmm. Because last year in this time, we would have been saying, this is great. We've got Ramon Arias at third. We've got Jorge Mateo at short. The Orioles, you know, we know they're not going to do anything in the offseason anyway, so they've got the left side of the infield locked down. Well, now you've got Gunnar Henderson, you've got Jordan Westberg knocking on the door, and at some point next year, if Joey Ortiz keeps playing like he did this year, mm-hmm. he's going to be knocking on that door as well as maybe you know a better version of Jorge Mateo, because the defense is really that good and the bat's better, could be a better version, and you're still looking at free agency. And, and I really do think, you know, I would love to see the Orioles bring in the Trey Turner, the Carlos Correa, the Xander Bogarts, but I really think even if they don't, they're going to sign a free agent infielder. Now that doesn't mean it's gonna be the big name, five year, two hundred million dollar guy, but some sort of utility guy, you know, who costs five to ten million dollars, who's a veteran presence that's better than Rugnet O'Dor, I think will come in. So you have to add that to this, to the equation as well. And I just think it's hard because it's hard to pass up a pretty much gold glove left side of the infield. Mm-hmm. It, it it's hard to not go into next year and say, Arias and Mateo are going to scoop everything. And even if you did it this way, even if you said, you know what, Gunnar Henderson's a great defender too, Henderson at third, Mateo at short, Arias at second, and Mount at first, there's not many better defensive infields in baseball if you set it up like that. So if you're just looking at defense, you would feel amazing going into next year. The issue is you have question marks about all four guys offensively. The Gunnar question mark is the fact that he still has to play a full major league season. We don't quite know what that's going to look like. Mateo is, can he stop swinging, missing at everything? Arias is, can he finally hit the ball in the air? And Mountcastle's is, we have a lot of promise, but can he stop swinging at that slider down and away? Mm -hmm. And so it's almost about how much of that uncertainty can you live with to trade off for elite defense? And I think it's going to end up that three of those four guys will end up in the infield. And one of either Arias or Mateo is going to get moved either out of the starting lineup or moved altogether in favor of a more consistent bat.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think that you, you just stole the thunder from my next question. I think it's likely we see one of these two guys moved, and at some point, if the awesome offensive production isn't there, they then move from... To, to, from a starting role to a utility role. And so if, you, if you're telling me that Ramon Arias gets traded in a package with an outfielder for a starting pitcher, Mateo gets to start at shortstop to start the year, but the bat doesn't play, and then you have to move him to the bench in favor of Joey Ortiz. Again, good problem to have, but I think we're looking at it with this roster crunch, we're looking at it potentially either Arias or Mateo or both being traded or moved out of everyday roles this coming season.
6: Yeah, and I think it's going to be tough because I've said this on my podcast. i said this on uh, on The Verge, their live show a couple of weeks ago. I think Ramon Arias probably altogether right now is a better baseball player than Jorge Mateo. I think it's close, but I think Arias is better. But when you look at the fact that both of them potentially, if the Orioles do go add to this team, could both potentially be moved to a bench role, I almost think Jorge Mateo, despite the fact that I maybe put him below Arias in terms of overall baseball player, especially as a hitter. Mm -hmm. I think Mateo is much more valuable as a bench player than Arias will ever be. I mean, pinch running, got it right there, 35 stolen bases. Defensively, you know, he's elite at shortstop. He can play second base and he can play the outfield a little bit, which helps. And in terms of just providing a spark as a pinch hitter, Arias is a better hitter than Mateo is. I don't think anyone's arguing that. But You know, in a one spot where you need a big hit, maybe you need an extra base hit, I trust Mateo more, who actually will lift the ball, instead of Arias, who at any time is just going to beat the ball into the ground for a double play because he struggles so much hitting the ball in the air, despite the fact that when he does, that's when he's great. And so I think if it ends up where both of them are fighting for a bench spot, it's going to go to Mateo, despite the fact that Arias is a better hitter and might be the better overall
1: player.
0: Yeah, I I think that for an everyday role, you're probably right that that Arias is a better player. But when you have somebody coming off the bench, what are they coming off the bench for? They're coming off the bench as a defensive replacement. They're coming off the bench to to pinch run, maybe to pinch hit. Then, yeah, you look at Mateo. He is the more valuable player because of what he can do in all facets. And with with his legs, the speed being the number one factor there. Um, Another guy who's pretty speedy. Cedric Mullins, I believe he finished tied with Mateo, or was he one behind him in stolen bases this year? I think he had 34, right? Yeah,
6: they went 35 and 34. Who, yeah. who won? One of them won. One of them Ma- Ma- Mateo won.
0: Mateo, them. Mateo had 35 and Mullins had, th- had 34. Um, and he was a finalist for uh, the Gold Glove in center field. Came out this past week, um, and I can't remember who put it out there that the Orioles would be willing to listen on Cedric Mullins in the right deal. And you were pretty quick to shoot that down. You were, you said if they were going to move him, they would have moved him last year. And that it's the fact that he's here now that you think he's going to stay here. I'm pumping the brakes on that one, on that take a little bit there, Connor. I think that if the Orioles, with the, Colton Kalser, um waiting in the wings in the minor leagues, if the Orioles can trade Cedric Mullins to, say, the Marlins for a Jesus Lazardo or a Pablo Lopez as part of a package, I think that they would be willing to do that and I think that that brings you into play for a left-handed bet with bat with better splits, who's a good hitter and a good defender in Brandon Nimmo, who is a free agent this offseason.
6: Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And I think you, you also have to look at like what a trade would be for Cedric Mullins.
2: Mm-hmm. Because if
6: they traded him last year, obviously that trade would be, we're trading a guy who just had a 30-30 season, who was an all-star, who had this incredible breakout year, and is still, you know at that point, 26 years old. You'd be trading him for prospects because the yeah. Orioles had just won 52 games. Now, if you're going to trade him this offseason, I think some of my pushback to that was, you know, we still haven't seen a Michael Elias trade that has brought back Major League Town. We still haven't seen it yet. I'm mm-hmm. hoping we see it this offseason. We should, but we haven't. So until we see it, my mind, and I'm sure your guys does too, in any trade rumor, my mind goes directly to trading him for prospects only because we haven't seen anything different. Now, I think we're going to, and we can start to shift that mindset. But I think the immediate pushback was, if the Orioles were going to trade Cedric Mullins for prospects, it would have happened last year. Because I think the O's knew last year, maybe they thought they'd get more out of Mullins this year, but they probably knew this is the best season he's ever going to have. And that was okay, because he's still a productive player this Mm -hmm. year, even though he wasn't that 30-30 player. Yeah, I think once they got to this year with him, they realized that he can be a piece moving forward. Now, I will say, I am willing to have that conversation that you're bringing up, that if the Miami Marlins, and I think we talk about the Marlins because they have legitimately no hitters and too many pitchers, so it's kind mm. of a perfect trade uh, you know, trade partner for the Orioles. If they really say, look, you know, Cedric Mullins is what's going to get you Pablo Lopez, the, I have that conversation because, yeah. A, Colton Cowser, I think, B, more importantly, you can go get an outfielder. It's a little worrisome because Austin Hayes isn't as much of that solid replacement for now in center field if Kowser's not ready as he maybe was we thought four months ago. Um, He's in a little different spot on this roster and as is Ryan McKenna who I think is never going to be more than a fourth outfielder. Right. So that's a little worrisome for early in the season because you just don't know if Kowser's even ready. He didn't have that that much time at AAA. I don't think the O's are planning on putting him on the opening day roster. But if it really got you that ace and a controllable ace I would have that conversation I just think Mullins is so valuable, even when he's not hitting 30 homers, that I think it just makes the most sense to keep him on this team and find other ways to go get pitching.
0: The problem there is that with with Mullins being a left-handed batter exclusively now and how much he struggled against left-handed pitching last year, I think he's too good of a player to put in in a platoon role, but they seem to, especially the second half of the year, they seem to be more willing to bench him or bat him lower in the lineup against left-handed pitching. Do you... Think that that takes away from the value for for to the to the Orioles for Mullins because now you're looking at a guy who you would expect to be playing every day, but maybe he's playing 120 or 130 games because they don't want to have him face left-handed pitching.
6: Yeah, it brings down the value. I mean, he did play 156 games. Now a lot of that was because sometimes when he did sit, he'd come in late to pinch hit or maybe mm-hmm. play center field. Uh, but still, 156 games is is a pretty good chunk. And I believe, uh, yeah, that did lead the Orioles. So he still played in in more games than anybody else, despite struggling against lefties. I kind of liked what they did at the end, it seemed like, where, you know, he would sit every once in a while for McKenna against a lefty, but generally he would hit, you know, seventh or eighth against a Mm left-hander. And I'm fine with that because I also think my ideal scenario for Cedric Mullins with the Orioles is they keep him around and down the line two years from now or so, he's basically like their eighth hitter and he's yeah. stealing bases and he's playing a good center field and he's hitting down at the bottom of the lineup and he might get you 15 homers, but he's more to hit some singles and some doubles and play good defense and kind of be that prototypical bottom of the order here. So I was okay with that. Cause I see that maybe being a future role for him as he gets a little bit older, but I would like to see him in this uniform. But again, it, you know, it's true that his value is a little less that they, we were willing to hit him lower and even sometimes play Ryan McKenna over him because he struggled. I mean, the stats show it. He was really bad against left-handed pitching this year, where it wasn't so much of an issue last year, even though he was hitting fully left-handed last year. So we'll see. That's going to be the number one thing. He works on this offseason, obviously, mm-hmm. so we'll see what he looks like coming back into spring training if he is still with the Orioles. But, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, you, know, you never know if that hurts his trade value to another team because they look at him and say – Can we truly play him every day because he was so bad against lefties? So, you know, it'll be interesting. And the thing about those rumors, too, is like, you know, Mike Elias is going to listen to offers. Sure. You know, that word, listen, he's going to listen to everyone. Like, he's not going to hang up the phone on anybody unless they're saying, hey, I'll give you this guy for Adley Rutschman. Then he might hang up the phone. But, I mean, in general, you know, he's going to listen on pretty much everyone. That's just the due diligence of your job. It doesn't mean he's, you know, actively shopping guys. Those are two different things.
0: No, yeah, absolutely. uh, Look, I I think that, Cedric Mullins in the Orioles uniform is only a good thing. He's only a year removed from hitting 277 against left-handed pitching for the entirety of a season. So if he stays in Baltimore, I think that's great. If he gets traded for a top-of-the-line starting pitcher that's young and controllable, I think that's great too. I'm very excited to see what they do with the outfield in general. Um, You mentioned um, Ryan McKenna. Jake Cave just agreed to a one year deal, split contract. So he gets his salary determined based on whether he's in the majors or in the minors. Kind of takes that, the not kind of, it takes the arbitration cloud away from that one particular player. You and I talked about Jake Cave before I came on to do the Ryan Mountcastle preview with you or uh, season review with you. And you said that somebody had told you that they thought of him as a left handed, better Ryan McKenna. Does Jake Cave getting that deal kind of spell the end of Ryan McKenna's days or that McKenna's days are numbered as a fourth outfielder?
6: Yeah, you know, it's tough because McKenna still has, you know, he still has options, he still has control. He's not even at arbitration yet, so he's not like a non-tender candidate. And when you look at Jake Cave, you know, I did an episode about him when the DOs claimed him off waivers, and it really was what you said. I mean, he's basically a left-handed McKenna at this point. But the only difference I'll say with Cave is that he's a little older. He's also a left-handed hitter. But he has had better success in the big leagues previously Mm -hmm. than McKenna's ever had. So when Cave first came up with Minnesota, I believe 2018 or 19, he actually had a great offensive year. Now, he was playing kind of almost every day. He was more of like a four games per week kind of guy. But he was having great offensive stats. Now, those completely tanked. As he hit age 30, basically, and he became just a good defender who had a left handed bat. So you rostered him. But, you know, he was really only rostered by the twins because Byron Buxton was so injured this year. But if the Orioles think there's something in that bat that he showed back in that rookie year, he's more valuable than Ryan McKenna because he can play defense. He's maybe not as fast, but he can still run a little bit. And he's got a better bat, I think, in there somewhere as a left-hander as well. And we know New Camden Yards, a left-handed bat, plays much better than a right-handed bat. So I think McKenna maybe he won't be you know DFA'd or anything, but I think he's in trouble of starting next year at Norfolk.
0: Yeah, I, I think that he is too. And look, this regime, they, they've they made it known that they want left-handed bats in, up and down their lineup. Uh, I mean, you look at their top prospects, whether it's Colton Kowser or... Um, uh, Gunnar Henderson or Kyle Stowers or Rutschman being a switch hitter. These guys are all left-handed hitters, uh, and Jake Cave kind of fits that mold as well. Now we're talking about the Orioles outfield. Another left-handed hitter, Heston Kerstad, laying it up in the Arizona Fall League. Still striking out, though, Connor, at a 30% clip, and it's against lesser pitching. We, I, I was listening to, I think it was uh, Keith Law the other day, and they have 16 top 100 prospects in the Arizona Fall League, and only two of them are pitchers and Kerstad's striking out still at a 30% clip. Now he's hitting three he he's got five home runs, got a couple doubles, a couple triples, um, like 17 RBIs. He's taking part in the home run derby tonight, the All-Star game tomorrow. Uh, What are your thoughts on Heston Kerstad? Should we be concerned that he's striking out so much, or is that just kind of the player that he is?
6: Yeah, I think it's the player he is, the player he was a little bit at Arkansas, but because the power is so great, and really the approach is great, I think the walks are going to be there along with strikeouts. I think he's going to be kind of close to a three true outcomes guy, but with the walks and the power with the extra base hits uh, being so big that it's going to help carry him throughout the minor leagues. And I just think for Kerstad, like I'm not super worried. The Arizona Fall League, it's not just a this year thing. In general, over the years, it's always much better hitters Mm -hmm. than pitchers because generally teams, unless pitchers were injured throughout the year, they're not sending their best pitching prospects to throw even more after their season is over really the Arizona fall league pitchers are generally guys who are mid-level to upper level prospects who were injured for most of the season, but like got healthy for the last month or so and they want more innings. So you're getting a much smaller pool of pitchers. It's a little concerning that he's striking out that much, but you know, he's still at a level where he's facing, you know, better pitching than even he saw this year in Aberdeen across the board uh, at the Arizona fall league. So I still believe it's a step up from what he saw this year. But the hitting is great. I mean, the home run binge he went on as soon as the fall league started was nice because he was kind of the star of the fall league for really the first two weeks. And there's a lot of scouts down there that get to see him. You know, he's going to be in Bowie next year, and we're really going to see you know what he's made of, how far he's really come back from from all that he went through. And really, I think is it a little concerning? Yeah, maybe a little. It also could be just the player he's going to be. But I think overall, the takeaway from what he's done is just awesome to see him finally have sustained success in professional baseball after everything you know, medically that he went through. And you're hearing a lot of scouts say like, wow, he is finally the player that was drafted number two overall in the draft. Like everyone's seeing that swing, that power from the left side, the ability to play the outfield as well is back for him. And it's exciting because you kind of left him out of your mind a little bit yeah. with ranking Orioles prospects recently because you just didn't know and it wasn't his fault It's just you don't know how he's going to recover from something like that, and it seems like he has. He's back in the fold, and now that he's back in the fold, he's easily a top ten Orioles prospect. And now that he's going to be in Bowie, you can start thinking about that debut date. Maybe not 2023, but the year after he really starts to enter your mind.
0: Oh, for sure. And you know, this is a guy he got drafted number two overall, as you as you stated. And then it was 27 months from when he got drafted to when he first played in his first professional game, and that's got to be hard on anybody. Um, like you said, not his fault. He had myocarditis. Then he comes back and he's amped up to be playing in a spring training in a, in a, in a complex game uh, in in the spring, and he tears his hamstring. He's out eight to 12 weeks. And then he gets going down there. The bats the bat takes off, moves up to Aberdeen, and it kind of slowed down a little bit. But he was good down the stretch there. Do you think that he's still firmly in the Orioles' plans, or do you think that they kind of are looking at him as, you know, hopefully he plays well so that we can trade him?
6: I think they could trade him. I mean, guys get traded a lot who play in the fall league, and the other scouts get to really see them up close, and it helps to kind of market them to other teams. But I still think he's part of the Orioles' plans because I really do think he is like the prototypical player that Mike Elias wants to draft. I mean, he was really, you know, he was Mike's second draft His, you know, first pick in his second draft is the Orioles GM. And what you've seen from some of the other players that Elias has drafted in the last couple of years, first stab was that first high pick where you really like college bat, big power, you know, really good swing mechanics, pretty swing who can play defense as well. And, that's what he is, and I really do think the Orioles are going to hold on to him because I think his swing, the way his power plays down the line, and you know even into like towards the bullpen in left center field,
2: mm-hmm. I
6: think he's a perfect match for Camden Yards right now. And I just cannot wait to see him up in the big leagues. And yeah, there's always a chance that the Orioles are really in it this year, and a team really wants Heston Kerstad for that. You know, starting pitcher, the O's are looking to add at the deadline. He could certainly be dealt. But I just think his profile as a hitter plays so well for Camden Yards. You know, and it's easy to be in his corner at this point. I really do want to see him debut as an Oriole.
1: Connor, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Bowie as the potential starting place for Kirstad. And I've been thinking about this a little bit because he is kind of, I guess, behind a lot of the guys who would probably be uh, at Bowie at that point from his draft class. Do you think there's any chance he starts out at Aberdeen just for maybe 10 games and then gets moved up and then maybe finds himself in AAA by the end of the year?
6: I think there's definitely a good chance he ends up in AAA. There's probably an outside chance he could go back to Aberdeen. I mean, he got a, a pretty good sample size at Aberdeen. And the other thing with Aberdeen is it is the most pitcher-friendly ballpark by far in the Orioles minor leagues. And a lot of times you'll see guys' stats kind of tank a little bit in Aberdeen and then get better in Bowie. We saw it with Colton Cowser this year as well. And I mean, you know, he ended up with just about just under 200 plate appearances in Aberdeen and you know the fact that he is going to be 24 years old next year when the season starts I think and and he was a first round pick if he's healthy I think you just have to put him in double a buoy age-wise he's going to be ready I think this time in the Arizona Fall League really helps because Mm -hmm. the talent of the pitchers there is at the very least in between what you'd see at Aberdeen and Bowie, if not what you'd see generally in Bowie. so he's at least starting that step up in Arizona which I think tells me if he's still in the ore, you know, if there's not an off-season trade, I think it's opening day in Bowie for him.
0: I want to talk a little bit about Kyle Stowers. And he had the, rever- the crazy reverse splits against left-handed pitching in the minor leagues. Doesn't get a lot of opportunity doesn't get really any opportunities against left-handed pitching at the big league level. When he finally did, he hits the home run um, there late in the season. But We had Luke Jackson on the show a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he really thinks that even though the reverse splits were what they were, that the Orioles don't believe that they that translates to the big league level and big league success for Kyle Stowers. Connor, do you see something with Kyle Stowers that would suggest that maybe he can't be the hitter that we think he could be? He's reached a ceiling at AAA. And I really expect him to get a lot more opportunity at the big league level, and he just simply didn't.
6: Yeah. I mean, he has, if you profiled him into a group, he kind of has that typical big power lefty swing that doesn't fare well against other left-handed pitchers. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say Kyle Stowers can't, but I think if you just toss Kyle Stowers into a random scenario, you didn't know anything about him, but you looked at his swing, you would say this might be a guy who matches righties and strikes out a lot against lefties. And, and, you know, if you looked at other guys who fit that profile, his swing and and his profile as a hitter is kind of similar. Now, It was one of the funnier things when he homered off the lefty at Fenway Park and what his second plate appearance against the lefty all season. Mm -hmm. Um, That was when I realized that Kyle Stowers might be the most online Orioles player um, because that was just hilarious. But I mean, I think he's going to get more chances against left-handers next year. I think if Cedric Mullins sticks around and he's still struggling against lefties, we could maybe see a little more of Kyle Stowers against some left-handers next season, depending on how open the roster is for some Kyle Stowers at bats. But I do think you know, the O's were in, it's tough to say this, but I think this was the truth. How good the Orioles were surprised Mike Elias. And mm-hmm. it sucks that that is the reality. But even when he called up Taron bobra and even when he called up Kyle Stowers, yeah, the Orioles had already gone on their 10-game winning streak. They were over 500. But I think a lot of baseball people, not just Elias, thought this is a great story. But there's no way this team's going to be playing meaningful September games. And that was even in, you know, July when mm-hmm. they were calling these guys up. But they had a great August. And all of a sudden, they were there. And I think the plan for Stowers and Bobra were, let's get them some at-bats when we can throughout August. And it stinks that this is the reality. But I think the thought was, hey, when we start to fall out of this in late August, let's phase in more Stowers, you know, and less Hayes and, and you know, whomever else. Let's phase in more Vavra and less Odor and less Nevin, and let's get these guys every day at-bats in September so we can really see what's going on. Well, we got to September. The Orioles were still right in the thick of it. Odor was actually swinging it better. You know, Jorge Mateo was red hot at that point, and Gunnar Henderson was in the big leagues because they were good, and all of a sudden, you had to kind of reroute the plan. Mm-hmm. And Kyle Stowers and Taryn Vavra were put in a tough spot there because they had to reroute the plan And it was to kind of just use them sparingly because they weren't top, top prospects. And so they were going to put Gunnar Henderson in that spot because he's a generational talent. But they were going to use the veterans, and the guys who had been there over the rookies to kind of get through this team's first ever playoff race. And it was just unfortunate. And I think with a better plan with Stowers, knowing that this team is trying to win next year, you'll have a better plan with him going into next season. And I think he's going to have a role on this team. How the outfield plays out with Hayes, Mullins, and Santander, you know, there's questions about all of them, is really going to answer where Stowers fits in. But he's certainly going to have a spot, and I also do think he's going to get a few more chances against left-handers next year.
0: So then it sounds to me like you're a firm believer that Mike Elias does have his hand in just about every Orioles lineup because we there was a lot of ire towards Brandon Hyde the second half of the season with the lineup decisions that he would put out there and the quote-unquote punt lineups on Sundays and in day games. But do, do you believe that Elias had as much to do with that, if not more than Brandon Hyde?
6: Yeah, I think a lot of what comes from Elias is, here's how much we're going to play Adley. Here's how much we're going to increase his playing time as the season goes on. Here's our plan with Rutschman when you can DH him, when you can catch him. I think there was also some talk of, you know, hey, here's what we you know want to do with Taron Bobber and Kyle Stowers. Oop, here's how we want to change it a bit because, we are more in this than we thought. But I do think some of the Vavre and Sauer stuff is actually as much if not more Brandon Hyde because I think him being around, you know, that Cubs team winning the World Series and seeing what it takes to compete in September, I think he favored his more veteran guys in those spots and I think the the Hyde part was I favor more of these vets that they're going to be, you know, better suited for these scenarios and I think the Elias part was Hey, if you don't want to subject Kyle Stowers to this right now, as soon as he gets to the big leagues, thrown into a pennant chase in September every day, then that's okay. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of combined for him, you know, being here for 2 months and getting less than 100 plate appearances.
0: And you, you know what? That's that's a great take. It's a great take where he's saying, you know what, if you don't feel comfortable with this in this particular situation cuz it's still so early. That, that that's an excellent take that I've never really even considered. Um and and, and to be honest with you, I wasn't really ever irritated with the way that they used Adley Rutschman because I understood. I, I thought he had too many days off um, from catching. I think he played 119 or 121 games this year, and he uh, had 37 days, 37 games off from catching. Um, but I understood that because day game after a night game, he had the triceps injury, and it's still playing the most games, arguably the most games he's ever going to play uh, to this point. It was more so just playing certain guys over other certain guys, but it, it makes sense the way that you lay it out there for me that they would have done it that way. So I'm interested to see how they go about their lineup decisions and how they go about playing time when they expect to compete from day one. I think that'll be a very interesting look and maybe we'll get to see what kind of a manager Brandon Hyde really is. I'm willing to give him that 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 chance um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Connor, have you been paying attention to Trey Mancini in the world series? A, a lot of people around Baltimore are like attached to Trey Mancini when it comes to just being Trey Mancini and him being in the World Series, 0 for six in the World Series, 0 for 18 in the playoffs. What are your thoughts on Trey's postseason?
6: Yeah, it's it's been a little sad to watch, and it was great to see him make that play at first base in Game mm-hmm. Five. Uh, you know, to have to come off the bench. I mean, if not for Yuli Gurriel, basically getting kneed in the head and maybe having a concussion, it's going to be interesting to see the Astros lineup tonight mm-hmm. because if Trey is in it, that probably means Gurriel's done for the postseason and means Trey is going to have to play first base in the clinching game, essentially, or over the next two games. And we could see some game six and seven Trey Mancini at bat. So hopefully he's figured it out a little bit. But if not for that injury, he was done. I mean, he was benched, and it was done for him. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he was going to be on the bench unless there was an injury, and an injury came up. So it was great to see him make that game-saving play defensively at first base, which isn't, you know, what he's known for as a player. But he does look lost in his first postseason at-bats. He's just—he's not seeing the ball well. Uh, the at-bat he had in Game 5, the one that he got after the Gurriel injury, it was I believe it was the 7th or 8th inning, he took a 1-1, 91-mile-per-hour fastball. I have never seen a fastball be more down the middle mm-hmm. than, the, than the, the pitch he took. It was a fastball. It was 91 down the middle. He watched it go by, and then he swung at a big overhand curveball in the dirt to strike out. And yeah. it was just like, Trey in an Orioles uniform is jumping all over that 1-1 fastball. And maybe he hits it, to the warning track in front of Baltimore and shakes his head, but he puts a good swing on that ball Mm -hmm. and he's just not doing it right now. So it stinks to watch, but I think he's going to get a ring here. I just think it's going to be so tough for Philly to win two games in Houston. So it's going to be nice for him. Not that he's had a big role, but I will say again, if Gurriel is really injured and he did not look good in game five, Trey's going to have to play a part in this game six and seven. And I did see someone put this on Twitter. I'm not sure who it was, uh, but this is a good way to think about it. Even if Trey, you know, has an 0 for 4 in game 6, there's a good chance that Trey Mancini is the last guy to touch the ball for the Astros as they win the World Series. Like, if it's a ground ball to the infield, Trey yeah. Mancini is going to have that baseball as they win, and I think that's going to be a cool moment for him, even though this postseason has not been pretty.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it will be too. And, and look, I I'm, I've, have not shot away from the fact that I'm rooting for the Phillies uh, in this postseason because of family members and really close friends who are all from Philly. Um, And I'm a, I'm a Bryce Harper guy, but if, if, if the Astros win, it's not going to suck watching Trey Mancini uh, hoist that trophy and get a ring on that finger of his. Um, But as far as Trey's future for the rest of his career, not maybe not the rest of his career, but for his immediate future, what's it look like? It it has to look kind of bleak. It wasn't a great year back to back years for Trey. Um, I don't know that he's ever going to be the player again that he was prior to the cancer diagnosis. What's his future look like?
6: Yeah, I don't think Houston's going to bring him back. Um, Now, Houston does have maybe an issue at first base because Yuli Gurriel took a giant step back offensively and defensively this year. He's almost 40. Mm -hmm. And so they're probably going to bring in a first baseman. But I kind of see them leaning more towards like the Josh Bell type in free agency. Okay. So I don't know if Mancini's going to be back. And he was not only bad in the playoffs in the World Series, Mancini was bad down the stretch. I mean, yeah. after the trade, he hit under 200. He was not productive. He had those first two weeks where he hit three or four homers and then just didn't do anything offensively. So I can't see them bringing him back. It's going to be tough because the way he's finished this season, and, you know, he's 30, 31 years old, you're kind of looking at a guy who might be signing a bigger deal with a worse team Mm -hmm. like does Trey Mancini end up on a worse baseball team than the 2023 Orioles I think it's possible for him to you know get at bats. maybe if he's okay with you know being more of a platoon part-time player he could sign with a better team because I think people still see the numbers in his bat and how unlucky he was in Baltimore this year and he's still definitely a productive hitter but it's going to be tough Get out of your mind what he did with Houston, and especially in the postseason. Now, I don't think we're at the point where he's, you know, only going to sign a minor league deal. Like he's going to get a major league contract from someone. But if he wants to play every day, it could be with a team that ends up being worse than the Orioles next year.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with you there. Stan did bring Stan the fan Charles did bring up um, Tampa Bay as a good destination for Trey. They don't yeah, really have I much that, at first base, and I think that could be a good spot for him.
6: Yeah, I think mean, I think that's a, a definite fit. Um, and you know, he he'd still be a platoon player there, but he would play a lot. He'd probably play the outfield a little bit, and you know, you'd get to be on a competitive team. Wouldn't that be something to see? You know, Mancini 14 times a year next year in another right. uniform.
1: Connor, are you suggesting that what Mancini could do in signing that bigger deal with the worst team would be similar to what Jonathan Scope did with the Tigers? Is is something like that, or would it be maybe even a bigger deal than that?
6: Yeah, I can see something like that. Because that Scope deal wasn't massive. And also, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who's And I mean, Jonathan Scope, he might be done in the big leagues with how bad he was this year. His defense is still really good. That might keep him around with a team like Detroit. I know he opted into his contract for next year. But, and the Tigers are so bad offensively, he'll probably play the next year at the big leagues. But once he becomes a free agent, like a guy like Scope might be done. So I hope that career trajectory doesn't happen to Mancini. But I could see that. You know, because I think a team who's maybe a year or two away would just love to bring in Trey Mancini in that clubhouse and have him hit in the middle of the order. But it'll be interesting to see if Trey, you know, saw what his role was in Houston and felt like, I'm OK with this role. Let me go sign a two year, $12 million deal with a contender and, you know, play three or four times a week and, and be a pinch hitter. So, you know, if he's open to that, it would happen. If he wants to play every day, like I don't know if Houston's bringing him back to be their everyday first baseman.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Trey. I'm going to keep an eye on, on the possibility of Tampa Bay because I think that that could be a likely scenario for him. Uh, Connor, what can we plug for you before we let you go today? Yeah,
6: so I mean, uh, the Locked On Orioles podcast, we're still daily throughout November, uh, Monday through Friday on YouTube and on audio wherever you get your podcasts. We're continuing to kind of break down the season for every significant Orioles player this year. And coming up this week on the podcast, we will have an off-season preview extravaganza episode coming up where I'm going to look at all the free the O's could go after, all the potential trades, all the kind of in-house decisions they have to make, whether it's 40-man protections, Jordan Lyles options, uh, you know, guys on the fringe of the major league roster, you know, DFA candidates, that kind of thing. And so I just kind of get everybody ready for the offseason and, uh, you know, five days after that World Series ends. So it's going to be at some point this week, you know, it's going to officially start trading for guys, start signing free agents, and uh, hopefully it starts quickly and we see a, a different Orioles roster a couple weeks from now.
0: Right, yeah, hopefully Michael Elias is rolling those sleeves up and getting ready to get his hands dirty. So, uh, Connor, thanks so much. Always great talking to you. We will talk to you soon down the line, all right?
6: Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on. All
0: right, man. See you. That's going to do it for Connor Newcomb from the Locked on the Orioles podcast. Always great talking with Connor. Nice Orioles banter segment with him there. A lot of big things to consider uh, moving forward for this Orioles roster in the outfield, in the infield, with that starting rotation. So tune into his um, we, his daily episodes all Monday through Friday this coming week where he's going to preview the offseason. We'll also be previewing the offseason um, next Saturday in our show. Uh, so tune into Connor for a little primer and then we'll continue it ourselves. Um, we gotta catch our final break. Wanna remind you that the next Tyus Bowser Show is Tuesday, November fifteenth at Mother's North Grill in Timonium. Tyus and a special guest will join Rita and Glenn, and this is your opportunity to meet Baltimore football stars while getting the inside scoop on the purple and black. The Tyus Bowser Show is a partnership of press box and great ace memorabilia and brought to you by Maryland Vascular Specialist and the all new Get in suit Grill, where Zach's going to cook some Samanmins. Find out more at PressBoxOnline.com slash Bowser. And if you happen to miss the tie's Bowser Show, you can check it out Friday nights throughout the season on 105.7 The Fam. When we come back in, the final take to rake of the 2022 Major League Baseball season. That and more
4: next on The Battle Round. or two. You must be a United States citizen, possess a valid driver's license, and have a high school diploma or GED equivalent. The Baltimore County Police Department is an equal opportunity employer. Receive a free Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich offer card as a thank you when you donate to Toys for Tots on Saturday, November 12th at any of the 13 Baltimore-area Chick-fil-A Stuff the Truck event sites. Be one of the first 50 people to donate, and you will also get a free T-shirt. For a location list and more information, visit PressBoxOnline.com slash ToyDrive. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity,
6: or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out
4: buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Glory Days Grill's Oktoberfest menu is now running. It's one of their most popular seasonal menus all year. It features the chicken schnitzel, the Oktoberfest brewer's platter, the brewer's sausage sandwich, the Bavarian burger with a pretzel bun, the cheddar ale soup, the slam dunk pretzels, and the apple cobbler. All of these meals pair well with Oktoberfest beers and Angry Orchard on Draft. Dine in or order online at glorydaysgrill.com and pick up your favorites to take home. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports. That first sip. That first bite. Start your day off
6: right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world at Royal Farms breakfast is available day and night it's the freshest breakfast in the world real fresh real fast
4: Royal Farms and food and drink specials. We'll see you at Guilford Hall Brewery. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On
7: the cover, New Maryland basketball coach Kevin Willard sits down with Stan Charles and Glenn Clark to discuss the situation he inherited in College Park and how he plans to get the program turned around. Also, inside, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from all of the teams in the area and Bo Smoka profiles Ravens receiver Devin DuVernay. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations including 60 Royal Farm stores and you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens and Terps at pressboxonline.com
0: Got to love the Glenn Clark, the original Glenn Clark, maybe not the original. It really is like this is top tier music. It is. This is You know what's really great? What? listen to the original theme of power Rangers okay instrumental good yeah. it's like hardcore like rock it's really awesome and I could totally get myself amped up while working out if that if that came on on my playlist anyway time for take the rake Tick Drake is brought to you by you know, Pressbox's Glenn Clark Radio, which is a definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show every weekday from ten to noon at youtube.com slash pressbox online or Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. Or if you can't watch, listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio with podcasts available on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. You never know Zachary Goodman who might pop up on GCR. This week the guys caught up with all of the area college basketball coaches including Maryland's Kevin Willard, Coppin State's Juan Dixon, and Towson's Pat Scary. Find those interviews and this week's Tyus Bowser show with special guest Chuck Clark in the Glenn Clark Radio Week in Review feature at pressboxonline.com. Chuck Clark, Glenn Clark, any relation? Probably not. Probably not. You never know. Probably not. It's time for the final take to rake of the year. I took JT Real Muto. Zach took Bryce Harper. Real Muto. One for 17. No walks, no homers, no RBIs, 11 strikeouts, and 059, 059, 059, 118 slash line. That's Zach breaking. took Bryce Harper. Two for 12. <laughs> home run, two RBIs, three walks, four hit by pitch. I mean, four, three walks, one hit by pitch, four Ks, a 167 batting average, but 375 on base percentage, 500 slugging, 875 OPS. Zach wins the final installment of Take to Rake of the 2022 season. And we have final standings. Oh, do we? I went through this yesterday. I was going to help you out with that. Ben McDonald did not have the first guest win, as we had originally thought. Okay. When I went through, I went through every episode. It took me about an hour and 20 minutes yesterday. Whew. Zach took Trey Mancini that week and beat out Ben's selection of Cedric Mullen. So, Zach okay. actually got the extra win that he didn't know he had in that segment. Our three there, we, there were three guest victories by Bob Phelan, Connor Newcomb, and Ryan Blake. Okay, And they all ha- occurred within five weeks of each other, within, wow. with, within five shows. Wow. Bob won with Adley Rutschman, whom he took on the June 11th show. Connor won with Cedric Mullins, whom he took on the June 25th show when we had a three-week break in the action while PressBox changed studios. Yep. So then the we had the July 16th show, and then we had um, Ryan Blake on in your stead while you were away. Uh, you were, I believe, you were in North in the Outer Banks or something like something that. Something like that. Uh, yeah. For the July 23rd show, and Ryan won with Adley, who we took filling in for Zach. On the July twenty third show, so in the span of five shows, our guests won three times. Wow! And then apparently we just stopped letting our guests play. I don't. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I don't remember. Like we didn't actively decide to do that. It Just kind of was a thing where we were like, you know what? Well, we really like to- doing Orioles banter and talking Orioles baseball because. Yeah. And we've never done this show when the Orioles were good, so we decided to start having our guests on in the eleven, right around the eleven eleven o five, so that we could have as much time to talk about the Orioles as we wanted to take to end the show. So with that in mind, we have our final <laughs> standings. I think it's going to be closer than I thought it was. But and we'll see. oh man, take direct champion of the world, Paul Valley. That's crazy. You sure you didn't uh, in the regular season? And I must have thought that you were whooping my butt because I was I, because at one point. No, you never were. Really? You <laughs> never were. You At one point, you went up by two victories. Okay. At one point. Okay. For the regular season, I won nine times. Mm-hmm. You won eight wow. times. Wow. Mad Guests close. had three victories, and we had three ties. Mm-hmm. In the postseason, I won twice. You won once this past week. Overall, Paul, you, me, 11 wins Zach nine guests three with three ties it's the closest take to rake well we've ever had and if you had been if you had answered the phone when we did take to rake while you were playing in your golf tournament right yeah it was uh, the, you, it, wasn't allowed if you had even won then you still wouldn't have. Would, yeah. uh, you still wouldn't have beaten me um no it may have it may have been a tie we may have had a tie it could
1: have been, yeah. Well, if it was eleven and nine, yeah, yeah, like yeah it, it. It, it,
0: it, it 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 could have been a tie. It could have been a tie. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ryan was the fill-in for you, so his yep. pick count as you, counted as your pick. So we will never know. What I do know <laughs> is I am a three-time, yeah, defending, reigning, undisputed, take direct champion of the world, and I have a surprise.
1: Oh yeah. He has a surprise. I was gonna make a oh, I see this. Okay, so I was wondering what that was the entire time. Uh but now I guess I know. Uh that's
0: I made this last night. Wow. This is this is kind of a piece of crap. Here, here
1: throw it over here. I'll put I'll put it in front of the camera. I got the camera right here. So I'm I not can, I'm not gonna throw it. Well you're not gonna throw it, of course. But, but I made this we last do, night. We do have to show this to everyone because it is a, a significant piece of, of the bat around. So we have what looks like Adam Jones here. Um Miguel it's Miguel Tejada, but it's number ten, and it looks like Adam Jones. But this is the Take the Rake Trophy. Apparently,
0: I, I have a camera also. That people, you do, but yours is cl- mine is closer. much closer. So this is the, uh,
1: I don't. Wow, you really went all out on this.
0: Yeah, I, I the Q tip. Um, I didn't expect it to kind of bend like that. <laughs> I made the I rake have. out of toothpicks. I it was a very rake. Yeah. It was a very frustrating build See, I don't because th- I used gorilla glue so it would stay together. And it kept um, the, the tape is great. Well, yeah, because it was an old base sign, and it said Miguel Tejada. Did you, did you read the bottom? I did, yeah, I did. The, the 2021
1: 20, and 22. Uh, if we we can put that right up at the camera here. Yes. Uh, take oh, to rake, Paul go.
0: Valley champion in 20, 21, and 22. Well, you get your own Miguel Tejada bobblehead. No, we're gonna, right we're, gonna we're we're gonna we're gonna leave it here. Oh, we're gonna leave it here. We're okay. gonna, we're gonna okay. leave the take to rake trophy. It's not Miguel Tejada, despite what it says on this jersey. It is. The take to rake trophy, right? Okay, okay, It sure. is a take. T- yeah, that that's a quality rake that is this, I built there. Uh,
1: is this supposed to be
0: you? <laughs> it's just <laughs> supposed to be an Orioles player. Got it. But that makes sense. Look at that. Look at the quality of that rake. Yeah, man. I, that that <laughs> is a quality build. What I, is
1: this? Uh, what did you make that? Toothpicks. Toothpicks. Wow. I okay. took All I right.
0: took five toothpicks and I snapped them into two-thirds size. Yeah, and then spread them out using one of the broken toothpicks to kind of spread them out. Very frustrating, especially when the Gorilla Glue got on my fingertips and then the, the pieces of toothpick were sticking to my fingers as I'm trying to lay them out. I was ready to throw the Tejada bobblehead through the window <laughs> you know, I, from the third floor. I had no idea he was number 10. Never knew that. Yeah, but I have a Miguel Tejada jersey. That That's cool. On opening day 2008, and when I say opening day, it was the first baseball game of the year. It was the Nationals opening their new stadium. Oh, right, right. And I sat there because Tejada wasn't with the Orioles anymore, Yeah. and Adam Jones was, and it was his first year, yeah. and he was, be- was going to wear number 10. I sat there the entire game unstitching Tejada. From the back of (laughs) of of that Orioles jersey, so now I have a black Orioles number ten jersey. I never got Jones put on there, but it was a Miguel Tejada jersey, and now there's just no name on it. And I do have an orange Adam Jones jersey, but I guess we'll see if there's another number ten. I don't know what they're going to do. I I don't. There hasn't been. There hasn't been. in five years yeah right I so I, so let's see 19 20 21 22 there uh, there hasn't been in four seasons since jones left
1: that's two great orioles to wear it back to back though yeah like two really significant orioles by the way adam we should try to have adam on the show because he do, does have that new show no with i, I i've been thinking about that yeah.
0: i've um i've wanted to get adam on the show i guess i got i have to reach out to the to the people and uh get get <laughs> right. the contact information but i do plan on having uh, Adam also. Yeah, gonna a new,
1: new podcast with Jerry Coleman, which I really want to listen to. I haven't gotten the chance yet, but I think that's probably gonna be really good. Th- those two guys have always had a great back and forth. Jerry Coleman is a good back and forth with everyone. Like John Harbaugh, mm-hmm. uh, he had a great back and forth with over the years. So that's gonna be
0: a fun pod to listen to. Jerry Coleman gets a lot of, gets a lot of um a lot of crap in this mm-hmm. in this area. And if I, I knew Jerry Coleman he's hilarious, behind so be the honest. scenes and I really enjoyed Jerry. Yeah I, I, Jerry was a nice he was he was he was tough on me when I was producing for him because he had to have everything just so, but he he treated me with respect. He was always super kind to me when we, you know, and just he was a good guy to me and he was a nice guy and, he, and like you said he, he was funny. Yeah. So, um, so I win, take the rake, three years running. Now Zach is trying to get his first victory in the twenty twenty three season. That's rough. I really thought he was beating me. I did too. I really thought that you were, and I was when I saw the final results. I was like, oh my god. We should
1: have stopped the count after week one. Yeah. Honestly,
0: well, there was a tie. Week one oh, was not was, was it a tie? Yeah. Okay, okay. The there first, we go. Because we we neither, um, I th- I think. Um, so we just should have stopped it whenever I started not, winning. That no, would have been fair. Mullins and Mount Castle legitimately both went like one for four week right, one, right, and right. we were both like neither one of them raked because whatever. I think they both struck out multiple times, but um, there was a point where I think that it was legitimately back and forth. Mm-hmm. It was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. There was a point when you went up like I want to say it was like six to four. Okay. And then I, I'm looking, and I'm no. I think the the highest lead you have is like six five. I think it was like six five. And then I I, I went on on a little bit of a run there to close the season. Um, so yeah, this was um, surprising for me, but I'm I'm glad to have won the battle yeah. around with Paul Valley just isn't the same if I'm not the take <laughs> the right champion. Um, final thoughts, I guess, because because I am the champion, I get to go first. You, you know what? The champion will be a gracious champion, and I will allow you to go oh. first since you won the final week of Take to Rake.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess my final thought, I haven't put too much thought into my final thought, but I, I want to reiterate something I've, I've kind of been talking about a lot, and that's... Um, I want Major League Baseball, and I know they can't do a lot because they do have the, the new CBA in place right now, but I want them just to review some of these rules and changes that they're going to make. Um, I've talked about blackouts. I've talked about trying to get the youth more involved, trying to get marketing more. Um, the youths. The, the youths. Uh, trying to get marketing to be a bigger part of the MLB business structure. I, I would like Major League Baseball to figure a lot of these things out and come back with a better plan next year as to how to get people more involved, more interactive with baseball. Um, it, it feels like we have a long offseason to do it. You know, last offseason it was all about the CBA, and that was everything was their focus as far as the CBA goes. You have a whole offseason right now to figure out how to make this sport uh, one that is is more, I guess, inclusive, but also more interactive and more exciting for fans. And I think that's a really big opportunity. You look at what. And the NFL has done, you look at what the NBA has done and they've taken a commanding lead in that category mm-hmm. um, and I think baseball has a real opportunity now uh, to start to appeal to, to more people and become a, a more inclusive and more exciting sport for everyone and I think that's a really big thing that's going to happen and I think they have the, the opportunity right now to, to do that
0: yeah, I, I think it's very important. They, they, they are so bad at marketing they their, are. their young yeah. talent, and I think that that's something that, that they really need to focus on. That's, But I think that's always going to be the case. Mm-hmm. It, I, I just think that it's that, possible. Um, but they, they have a long way to go. I, I think they have a long way to go, but it would be nice to see them start taking steps in that direction. Hey, look, they banned the shift, you know, and sure did. I, I'm super excited about that. Um, so if they were willing to ban the shift, maybe they'll be willing to do some other things too. Um, for me, my final thought I'm really glad that Connor kind of offered a bit of an eye-opening eye, eye opening or an awakening for me when it comes to Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias and how they were running the team this past year. Because I, I do agree that Michael Elias didn't see this coming yeah. from this team. And, and no. the comments at, at the trade deadline, that made it abundantly clear that he didn't expect his team to be in contention. And even when they were in contention, he didn't expect it to last. Yeah. And the fact that it did caught him off guard. Right. I think that he fully expected the Orioles to be a last-place team again this year. And... Then when they were good, he still fully expected them to miss the playoffs. And ultimately, they did. And I think that a lot of us, if we were really checking ourselves, um, probably didn't expect them to make the playoffs while, even when they were in contention. But the lineup decisions were made me pull, start to pull my hair out. Yeah. right? And I was constantly yell, an old man yelling at a cloud. And I was blaming Brandon Hyde. And I think that Connor gave the best and most logical explanation and that Brandon Hyde's allowed to make his lineups but they had a plan in place for yeah. guys like Vavra and like and guys like Stowers where we're going to bring you up to get a taste of the big league action and competitive baseball in August and then you're going to get your real playing time the last month of the season and then the Orioles were still in it. Right. And so Brandon Hyde uh, and so Elias said to Hyde, "Look, we wanted you to play these guys, but we're still in it. Right. If you're more comfortable playing your veterans and you think that they can handle the situation better, you don't want to expose your rookies to that then by all means do that." And so I think that, that Connor's right, that that's probably the conversation they had and that High was given the go-ahead to play those guys and that that's what he saw fit, that he saw putting veterans in a situation, in a, in a tough situation like that was better than putting his rookies in there. So I'm willing to, you know, take a step back from the Hyde criticisms here and say that that was probably and likely the case. Um, but he doesn't get a free pass from me. He gets a, okay, then I, I want to see what you do this coming season. Now... I have made, uh, my New Year's resolution is, uh, is that I'm going to try and be less negative about because there are people who think that I'm completely negative about all Baltimore sports teams and I and I, and I promise you I'm not I promise you I'm not and I talked about this a lot but with better teams better talent comes greater expectations so my expectations are that this this Orioles team should be competing for a playoff spot next year and if I see lineups if I see certain things that. Prevent them from winning ball games. I think should should be wondered decisions in game that are costing them ball games. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm going to call it. it out. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going to call it out, and that's that's my job. You know the, that's why I have this show is because I I am not afraid to it's call. it. It's a critical analysis. Yeah, it, it's it's not. I hate the Orioles. I hate Brandon Hyde. It's you need to do better because this team's good enough to to, to go somewhere. So well, I'm going to try and be less negative. I'm not going to stop myself from from expressing my opinion, but I am willing to take a step back from my. Brandon Hyde slander, if you will, and give him the opportunity with better talent and whatever acquisitions they get this offseason and see what he can do with a really talented, playoff-ready team next year. So before we go, um, I really thought we were going to get out of here earlier today, and we just never do. Um, Ravens, Monday night, taking on the Saints. They just acquired... All-world linebacker, Roquan Smith. Yeah. And then we get the news two days later that Rashad Bateman is out for the year having Liz Frank surgery on his foot. Um, I am never... I I will never get excited about a Ravens drafted wide receiver again until they give me reason yeah. to be excited. There's no Because even with Bateman, I was like, why do I need to be excited about this guy because nobody else has ever panned out? And people yeah. are like, oh, he's this, he's that. And it, no, he's not. He's not on the field. And well, I, I think Bateman went healthy is a very, very good wide receiver. He is, but he hasn't been healthy his he entire career. Been, yeah. And when he was healthy, he had three critical drops in that game against yeah. the Bills. And again, in the Ravens had a double-digit fourth-quarter lead, and they lost. They should have won that game, and if he catches even one of those three passes, they probably do win that game. Yeah. So my excitement for a wide receiver, unless it's signed in free agency, I'm never going to have it again. You're going to have to yeah. prove it to me, uh, and I need more proof than you were just drafted in the first round. That being said... Um, you're hearing a lot of people say that this could be a tough game for the Ravens because the the Saints go down and score points. Every game's tough for the Ravens because they're the Ravens, but I think the Ravens have found their <laughs> yeah. offensive identity. We saw it in the second half against the Buccaneers, and I'm looking at the Ravens to go in there, run the hell out of the ball with a strong offensive line. You're not going to have Gus Edwards or Mark Andrews. I think that they're even if they were healthy enough to play, I still don't think they'd play because you have the bye coming up. Um a lot of Kenyon Drake. A lot of Justice Hill. Yeah. And you're going to see Mike Davis get carries, too. A lot of Duvernay touches, I'm thinking. And I expect the Ravens... To, and a lot of scrambles from Lamar. I expect the Ravens to go down into into, the, into New Orleans. It won't be easy, but I'm calling Ravens 24, New Orleans 17.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I think Roquan is going to be a massive addition to this team because mm-hmm. you look at the middle linebacker position for the Ravens, and ever since Ray Lewis left in, in 2012, um, or retired in 2012, They've really struggled to replace it. C.J. Mosley was was fine, but he was often injured. Number one, and then he didn't really last all that long after he left um, and walked and signed with the Jets in free agency.
0: And he wasn't great in coverage.
1: And he wasn't really that good in coverage. He was a run stopper, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you look at Patrick Queen, who's kind of been the replacement there. Um, after the Ravens signed Bynes and Fort off the street the year prior, they drafted Patrick Queen. He's kind of been into the you know thrown into the fire, I guess you should say. And there's been a lot of expectation around him, and he hasn't really become what we thought Patrick Queen could become. The athleticism's there. But he's got to get better. He's got. He still has to get better in a lot of scenarios and, and ways. Um, Moving
0: he, him to the weak side and it having a lot it, and, and it, having it, and he's that's where he's going to be now with yeah. Roquan in the fold, and he's gonna have an opportunity to get after the pass rusher, use that athleticism. I think he's going to be better,
1: no doubt. And, and now you add in Roquan Smith, and you're getting a guy who is a proven leader. Um, right now, he's leading the NFL in tackles. He's productive year after year, and he's played very, very uh, a great number of games, which is indicates that he's per, you know a pretty healthy player over a period of time. So that's going to be extremely helpful for the Ravens having a middle linebacker with leadership. A middle linebacker who knows what he's doing back there that's such a big deal for them. It's uh, so that trade excellent. You're getting Bowser back. That's going to be a huge deal for them. I don't like that Mark Andrews is not there because Lamar Jackson loves Mark Andrews and they, mm-hmm. they have a great connection and that's why Mark Andrews is one of the best tight ends in football. But uh, Bateman, you know, it's a big loss. It's a really big loss because he he really opens up a whole new identity for this offense when he's on the field. So it's it's, it's hard to see him go down um, and especially against the Saints defense that has some really good pieces. That's it's some of the better middle linebackers they're going to face all year on that Saints defense. I think this one's going to be a close one. I'm going to go 28 24 Baltimore. Okay. And a close one.
0: Um likely stepped up huge. Yeah, it with, with, looks with, great without Andrews. Yeah. So that that could be another thing. Um and you mentioned uh Bateman opens another facet for this offense. Yeah. He's basically been a non-factor since week 3. He has, but when and, he's and,
1: on, I mean you saw what he did in the in the uh the Jets game week 1 and he you saw him against Miami, he played really well.
0: I mean they 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 beat the Buccaneers without him. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And they beat um, they beat the Browns basically yeah. with. I mean, he had four catches, but they were like short Not, yards. N- nothing. He, big, he, right. he was basically a non-factor in that game. And they should have beaten the Giants basically without him. Same thing against yeah. Cincinnati and same thing against um and, and the game against the Patriots that they won. Mm. I mean, he he dropped three passes against the Bills, right. and they should have won that game. And he was a re- he's not the sole reason, but he's one of the reasons that he didn't win that game. And against the Patriots, he had two catches, and on one of them, he fumbled. Mm-hmm. You know, so to me, Bateman, aside from the first two weeks of the year, has been a non-factor for yeah, this offense. Sure. Andrews is a big is the big loss, but Isaiah likely stepped up huge when it mattered most yeah. last time, and I expect to see him do the same so that's going to do it for us on the bat around thank you to Todd Callis from AT&T Sportsnet Astros play-by-play man for joining us to talk some World Series today thank you to Connor Newcomb from the Locked on Orioles podcast to, to join us for Orioles banter a lot of great content there and thanks as always to Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment always enjoys talking baseball with Stan guys enjoy the rest of the World Series get ready because the the, the offseason and the Orioles frenzy hopefully in free agency and in trades is about to get started end of this coming week until next time as always see ya